Have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They are the only sunflower seed company that is taking the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. got the, the mix of pitches right there. We saw the changeup, we saw the fastball, and then he finished the bat with the bender on the outer part of the plate. In the gutter, the trouble on one hand of Yo, what is up, everybody? It is time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I am joined as always by my co-host, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers. Guys, tonight's episode 28 titled Engineer of Knoxville because we have one of the smartest players we've ever had on the show. Not only is he a graduate from the University of Tennessee, he's got an engineering degree from the University of Tennessee. He's a former player and current coach for the volunteers. Guys, let's get right to it, man. This is going to be a good episode. A lot to talk about, a lot to dissect, a lot to unpack with our guest tonight. So help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview in podcasting this week, our man, University of Tennessee baseball star, Redmond Walsh. Redmond, my man, welcome to the show. How are we doing tonight? Real good. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's always a blessing. We love talking baseball. We love talking Tennessee baseball. Uh, man, you got a heck of a career and story to talk about, and so we're going to get into it. But, man, we got to start with, you know, what's going on recently, man. Seeing, seeing that you just got married, and I got a question for you real quick. You know, did you by chance get married on a Saturday? No, Friday night. I wasn't going to make that rookie mistake. Okay. Uh, it worked out perfect. You had the game on, uh, had the wedding on Friday. Everybody comes in Saturday. Everybody gets to go to Kentucky game. I had it planned out before. All right. So you see Randy shaking his head on the rookie mistake. See, I didn't exactly make a rookie mistake. I, w- I made a selfish mistake. Um, LSU is my team. They played on Thursday night that week. So I wasn't really worried about anybody else's team. Randy, however, Tennessee was playing Florida on the Saturday of my wedding. And, uh, you know, I thought I might get unfriended, man. I, you know, tw- 20 years in the books. And I think he was thinking about cutting me off for, for making that rookie mistake that you talked about. So I just want to make sure that you didn't do that. So smart man doing it on a Friday. Then y'all went to the game on Saturday, took care of business. I love it. So, you know, with that, man, uh, you got fall ball going on with, with baseball, all this crazy football stuff. You get married. Like, have you even had time to do a honeymoon or anything? No, that that's this weekend. We just ended up our orange and white series. Uh, coach the white team. We get the dub in the series, which was a pretty cool experience for me. But hitting, um, we're going to head out here in a couple, couple days, actually, going down to Orlando for a little bit and then heading down to the Keys. Going down to Orlando, that's Daniel's neck of the woods. Are you hitting Disney or just Orlando in general? Oh, Disney. That was the big part. We're going to go down for two days. And um, that was something when we first started dating we wanted to do and something she always talked about. So it was a little little getaway for both of us and then head down a little more south and hopefully for me do a little deep sea fishing. 
Well, oh, no doubt. I got to do the deep sea fishing. Uh, we, we do that when we get down there as well. But on the Disney thing, let me tell you, as all of us having kids and, and we've been with or without kids, hey, man, it's some people think Disney is just for the kids. It's amazing how much fun the two of you are going to have, man. When you when you kind of get to just get to do your own thing, you ain't got to go where they want to go. Like in uh, Epcot, man, you'll, you'll love it. Try all the food. That, that's my recommendation. I'm sure Randy and Daniel got recommendations. Randy was just Randy. What were you there two weeks ago? Uh, a month ago, actually, to the day. Yeah, so you do it. You're doing it right. Disney's a good choice. I like it. I'm gonna have to get with you afterwards, Randy. I got Look. you, man. DB's your resident Disney expert. He lives like an hour from it. <laughs> look, look, Redman. I I got one question about Disney. What is what are your shirts look like? What do they say? You're not gonna fool me. I know y'all got shirts already, and I know they got yeah, some, only thing she said, on it. She said she wants the ears, and that's it. And I was like, I'm I'm fine with that. Hold up, hold up. You're not gonna have like a hubby and a wifey, all that kind of jazz. <laughs> Come on, man. Oh my goodness. She might surprise me something when I get down there, but uh we'll see. It'll be one of those things played by ear. I got you, man. No matter where you go, you'll have a good time. It'll be plenty of Plenty of things to do, plenty of things to see, drink, ride, eat, you name it. But um, talk to me a little bit. Let's let's go back to the beginning. Tell me a little bit about where you're from. So I grew up just outside of Knoxville. It's a town called Alcoa. You ever fly into Knoxville, you fly into Alcoa. And um, if you know anything about Alcoa, we're a football school. Um, I think it's like 16 out of the last 20, 22 state championships in football. Something crazy like that. So powerhouse football, terrible at baseball. Always been really bad at baseball. That was, that was the bad thing about it. We've had some decent talent come out, but never any winning seasons. But um, that was the thing. I always loved baseball. Hated playing football. Loved watching football. I was always too small. But um, but I went to a high school that was super competitive in the athletic department and kind of pushed me to kind of be a little bit better than I should have been. So let's let's go back even further, though, before high school. Um, obviously, we, we always talk about the family dynamics and brothers and sisters. Did you have any brothers and sisters growing up? Was mom and dad both in the house? What were the dynamics like? Yeah, so I had um, mom, dad always around, and then I had an older brother and a younger brother. And um, I think my older brother is the whole reason I got into playing baseball and sports. He um, he when he was six years old I was three and he was putting sweatbands on me to go try out for basketball and stuff or just I was decked out like gear out out of everything so um and it was just one of those things sports were what we loved to do growing up all right so that leads me to my most important question obviously three boys relatively close in age who's winning the fights I know y'all I know y'all are fighting who's winning Man, is this thing gonna be aired? I don't. I don't know if I want to tell them all the secrets. So, <laughs> um, to be honest, it, when we were little, it was as my older brother he beat us up, and probably now it's my younger brother. My younger brother, we still get scrap, not scrap, scrap, but we still get into it a little bit. And he's a lot bigger and stronger than us. He hits the gym all the time, and we just are. Uh, ever since I stopped playing, it's like a maybe once, twice a week kind of deal. Was so, it that? Was it that pass down effect where big brother got you, and then you got little brother? And then little brother's seeking revenge the rest of the time. So that's that's how it works, man. But you know, you can tell them you're wiry. You ever seen the re the replacements? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's that's you, man. You're wiry. 
but uh i mean obviously growing up two two siblings two brothers the competitive nature i'm sure is all over the place that you know you mentioned being basically a walking evo shield a walking you know advertisement with all the gear that they had strapped on you but um outside of the home like who are you watching like professionally what athletes are inspiring you who are you trying to mold your game after well it's kind of crazy so when i was about um 10 years old i started going to pitcher pitching coach named doug Lockler, who was with the padres and all this stuff he was good family friends we knew i played with his son and stuff the first pitcher i ever tried to model was sandy koufax didn't know anything about him i just remember seeing pictures of him he's a lefty really good stuff and i just all i knew he's left-handed and threw threw pretty hard played for the dodgers that's all i knew when i was about 10 and that's kind of who i just idolized for forever i'd have sandy koufax pictures in my um room i'd have all the the ones of him holding the balls with the, the circles on them all that and that was that was my guy that's kind of who i idolized as a kid and um kind of who i wanted to be and I, that was before i knew nothing i just knew he was a professional baseball player and i wanted to be like him Man, what a like you're an old soul. Like, what do, <laughs> what do people people are like, who is your favorite player? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. It's um obviously, you know, being on the bump, you know, you 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 look back in history and obviously the stats and, and the numbers don't lie, man. He's he's in the record books for for a reason. Um, but you know, as you get older, as you find, you know, your your niche, your groove. Um, you start playing travel ball for Diamond Baseball of the Simcox Academy. Um, you were in the 2015 uh, Perfect Game WWBA National Championships. That's the Wood Bat Association. Um, tell me a little bit about the importance of travel ball because we've had a lot of guys on and they all have varying, you know, perspectives and, and importance to travel ball and their success. But, you know, tell me a little bit about the importance of travel ball and how it affected you yeah travel was huge I, I tell kind of everybody that's getting recruited now people i know um recruiting just being in the right place at the right time in front of the right people it, it's kind of crazy i mean you have your you have your guys that um your ben joyce's your people like that they throw a hundred and at walter state something like that and they, they stick out but if you're a guy like me i mean i was middle of the pack i was a lefty i was 85 87 um I had a good change up, we got a good command, but it wasn't like, it's not something that is projectable. So you start, you want people to look at you for other stuff. So for me, so travel ball was huge because I got to go out and I got to pitch against guys. Um, we had two guys that ended up coming to UT. One was Zach Langenfelder, one was Andrew Schultz. They both played for Team Elite. And um, we played them over at Coastal. And um, I ended up getting to pitch against them. And luckily enough, Coach Serrano, who was the coach at UT before Vitello was there, and watching them throw, ended up watching me throw and really liked kind of my competitiveness and my grit on the mound. I ended up getting the win and beating both of those guys who pitched the, I think Lingo pitched three, Schultz pitched four um, in a seven-inning game, and I ended up pitching all seven and getting the win. I think that was kind of just one of those things, being in the right place at the right time in front of the right people. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, Alcoa High School is where you, you went. You didn't, you know, you didn't say a whole lot about the baseball program being prestigious or anything, but you did mention that, you know, there, you know, every so often they had a couple guys coming out of there. My guess is that you were one of those guys. You were a four-year letterman. You're a senior captain. 
you earn, you know, three first team all county and all district accolades. You were named all state two way player, uh, listed as the number five lefty pitcher in the state of Tennessee, a top 200 lefty pitcher. Um, according to Perfect Game in 2016, you threw a no hitter to seal a three nothing victory over Catholic High School in May of, of that year, as well as you recorded a season high of 14 strikeouts as part of a complete game effort and a 4 nothing win over Catholic High School. Um, you know, talk to me about that high school career. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, those games that were mentioned, but also, you know, what what were some of your, your big highlights, some of your, you know, favorite pieces to those seasons? Well, I'll tell you my favorite thing to my senior year, because I still give this guy a hard time. Um, Y'all know Spencer Strider, right? Plays for the Braves. He actually was in my district, and when I was a senior, he was a junior. I won district pitcher of the year over him, so um, I still keep up with him a little bit. So after he signed his $97 million contract, I sent him a little picture of um, my award, and I'm like, hey, you might have 97 mil, but I, I got this little thing. Just That's what I'm talking him, about. Yeah, just to give him a little bit, but um, no. I it's love one the petty. It's, uh, <laughs> it's one of those things he – um. First off, he's unbelievable, and watching him in high school was just, just a different. It is different. He's a different breed of guy, and that's why he's doing the thing he is. But that's one of those things when I'm old, and I'll be able to tell my kids that. And um, but that was one of the big things. But when I look back to my career, I look back to some of those um, games, like the no hitter against Catholic and the 14 strikeout games. Just how much fun it was to pitch in those games, to pitch in big moments, and that's kind of when I knew I wanted to take college baseball seriously and um, succeed in it because I love the, the idea of pitching in big games and big moments and being in those situations. So at what point, you know, was it one of those big games or was there a particular instance um, or was it just, you know, a culmination of a really good season where colleges started reaching out and you go, Oh man, this is, this is a real thing. Like I can play at the next level. Um, was there a moment or was it just, you know, after a good season, you got to sit down and kind of analyze the whole gamut of what was out there and then make a decision? I'd say there, were, there was two moments. Um, the first one's kind of after I, I got my first college call after it's going to my sophomore year, the summer. Um, we're playing over. It's my first year with Diamond. We're playing over at South Carolina. And I don't even remember the team I pitched against, but um, we're at the University of South Carolina. And um, – I ended up throwing a complete game, perfect game, 18 punchies. And um, it was one of those things where I was like, um, it was just my, like blew my mind. I was only 78, 81 at the time, but it kind of showed that I had this stuff to get. I just had to put in the work. And um, I ended up getting my first call, I think the next week from Tennessee Tech. And then um, it was like a trickle down effect. And then I guess the when everything really started happening was um Worldwood bat the next summer we're playing East Cobb Astros and I end up pitching three giving up one hit and um I ended up closing the thing out we end up losing two one we'd given up two earlier but it's kind of one of those things you you see like LSU commit Mississippi State commit all these different commits on that team you're like man you're pitching against great competition you're pitching against guys that are going to be elite players so Pavaloni on that team what was Pavaloni on that team? Yeah, I think he was a little bit younger. Okay. 
because I remember him saying he played for them, and that would have been a cool little little story considering y'all became teammates. Yeah, that was he. He makes me so mad at the plate because I I, uh, I had his number there for a little bit, and I think his last like two abs is like a hard single and a home run. So, um, and then I never got a chance to face him again. <laughs> so, you know, it that kind of you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because East Cobb, obviously, we all know what what they're about and there's you know a various number of east cop teams with various levels of, of college prospects on them but when you go up against teams like that how much fun is it to watch them just struggle to like pick you up and like you just simply dominate those guys and obviously it's kind of vindication for the work that you put in but it's also got to be like very humbling on their part to to see, you know, a guy outside of East Cobb, outside of their realm, just dominating them. So, like, my, I, I tip my hat to you, man. Like, that's that's big-time stuff. And you, you talk about Tennessee Tech coming in the mix, but you also talk uh, about colleges just really being on the radar and it being a trickle-down effect. So when does Tennessee actually come into the mix? It was later that summer after, um, after I pitched against – Team Elite and Coastal. And that was one of the same, I forgot to mention this. So the same summer, um, Coach Simcox, um, people call him Slim, who coached at Tennessee was our summer coach. So Dave's there watching us. And um, Slim was my coach all summer. And then he tells me all the time, because I, um, I still keep up with him, talk to him. He's a great dude. He tells me one of the biggest reasons that he offered me or committed me when he went back to coach at UT was because um, I was one of the grittiest players that he ever played with or ever coached. And that was probably one of the coolest just compliments I've ever got because I like gritty competitive. Those are two things that I believe that are controllable as the player. I think you can teach yourself to be competitive and teach yourself to be gritty. It's just who's willing to put in that extra effort, that extra work. It was one of those things I always worked my tail off. And that was why um, I think I was, as successful I was in high school and college because I, I think talent level, I tell people all the time, guys like Chase Dollander, uh, Chase Burns, Drew Beam, those guys, their ceiling is so much higher than mine's ever would be. But I felt like I was able to get every little bit of it because I had that grit. And um, that was why Coach Simcox ended up talking Coach Toronto into offering me. So, you know, for you out, outside of that moment, you know, Coach Simcox, you know, reaching out to Coach Toronto, was it always Tennessee or was there other schools where you, you were basically almost getting ready to commit there? Uh, no, it was always Tennessee. It was one of those things. Um, they offered me preferred walk-on, and it was, it was the dream spot. And it was, um, I was just even blessed. I remember looking at the roster and counting because they called me, and they were like, we don't, we got to make sure we have enough room, and counting and seeing, like, who's going to leave, who's going to come back, and hoping I'd get a, be able to even get a spot on the team. Yeah, man, that's – no, it's crazy. As somebody that kind of followed your career, you know, all the way through, and, and you know, Jim and I talked about this. It was like when you came in, it was always a feeling of relief for me, especially in your later years. But you didn't have that that juice maybe that, you know, obviously that Dolly has, Beam, Burns, those guys are just, you know, even cheese, you know, with kind of a little bravado – you were just you, man. But I mean, you played that part so well that it was just like a it was like a calming effect, man. And for two, 
one of the questions that I always wondered, you mentioned Simcox and Serrano, obviously coming in, you commit or whatever, and then everything kind of changes. You know, Serrano uh, gets asked to leave. And then obviously Vitello comes in, a name that I think people knew who he was. But I mean, what was that situation like? Once you commit, how do you stay there? Does he reach out to you and say, hey, we do have a spot? Or was it, how did that go? That was completely different. So they, they pretty much told everybody at that point that, hey, we're, everybody's coming back. They didn't have, it was the summer, so they didn't have any time to recruit their guys. So pretty much they were stuck with the Serrano guys and the Serrano commits. And that was kind of what was crazy about the next year. Um, and from my perspective, that, that fall bef- um, before Vitell and them got in, so the whole year before, I had Tommy John surgery. So he had no idea who I was. So I was out that whole year and still rehabbing when they got there. And um, it's one of my favorite stories now. At the time, I I didn't even realize what was going on. But when him and Frank, uh, Coach Anderson, got there, and I remember talking to them a couple times and whatever. And um, one day I go up to Coach Vitello. I'm like, hey, man. I was like, I need to start throwing the live hitters again. He's like, okay, we'll get it figured out. Well, come later on, they end up telling me that they – thought I was a manager up until that point that I was just kind of on the sideline doing helping doing laundry and stuff like that. And just kind of out there. And um, like I said, they didn't tell me that till like two or three years after that moment, but it, it's kind of funny to look back and see like, that's kind of how my whole story went. Yeah. And so for those, obviously that follow it closely and you guys, obviously Vitello gets a lot of the publicity, but just how good is Frank Anderson at pitching, especially coaching it? It's it's different. I um you see some as a player, but now kind of being on staff and helping him and helping Richard, it's crazy to see some of the stuff he sees. People don't see the behind the stuff um things he does, like doing a scouting report for another team and um how he analyzes a game and how he's so good at not even just the pitching part of it, but he's good at coaching infield, coaching hitting, coaching the outfield. He sees the game from so like he's been there so long. Um, one of the coolest things was, it was just the other day, it was something with um, Joe Landers working a bull, bullpen on the Rapsodo and um, Coach Anderson telling him like two little things. And next thing you know, his spin rate jumps up like 300 RPMs. And you're just like, who would, how would you even like see something like that? It's just something where he's so savvy and he's so been there so long and he's, he kind of has a great feel for people and a great feel for the game that, he, he's just that good, and he's never complicated with stuff. He's always very simple and very down-to-earth about it. Man, he's really fiery, too. Nobody's ever said that about him, I guess, huh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, so I actually got to see you guys uh, last night, this past week and the weekend before that in Jackson. Uh, I think that was, like, the longest game ever, 18 innings. It was just like – it was a marathon, not a sprint. But things were looking good, man. We had – hey, how was that crowd? Were y'all expecting that big of a crowd for that scrimmage? We're expecting something, but I, I never would have thought that, especially for that place out in Jackson. You would think it's kind of the middle of nowhere. I mean, <laughs> Memphis, Memphis pulls it in, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Memphis pulls it in. That's who was there. I, I uh, dropped the ball, Redman. I actually forgot that I had requested tickets for that game, and then uh, Booker's dad got them for me and me and Cameron James' dad, and then he calls me. He goes, hey, you ready to head up there uh, Sunday? And I was like, hey, I'm actually going to LSU Alabama Saturday. I'm not going to be able to make it. <laughs> now, since LSU beat Alabama, no regrets. But had we got, like, shellacked and then I missed you guys, I'd have felt bad. <laughs> and that yeah. LSU Alabama game was worth it, though. 
Absolutely. It, I don't think so, man. I chose you guys. But anyway, <laughs> let's get into some of the time there. You mentioned kind of coming off Tommy John and everything. So you redshirt your freshman year. Um, just kind of, what did you learn throughout that process? And did you, I guess you expected to get redshirt coming off the injury or did you expect it? Yeah, I expected to. And um, it was one of those things when that injury hits or any injury, you just kind of are in shock. And um, I tell everybody, you kind of go through it a little bit. I remember um, I, I came into college at 150. I get Tom and John. And by uh, the time I get to able to work out, I'm up to like 185, 187. And it's just like you put all that way. You can't it do happens. anything. And it's one of those things you start, you just don't know what to do with yourself. And um, luckily for me, though, I had people, even though we weren't very good at the time, we had good players on the team. And one of my favorite people that I always talk to, there's a guy named Garrett Stallings. He's with the Orioles now. And, um, man, I got to watch how he just went, like his routines he had, how he worked every day, um, stuff like that. And I kind of got to formulate what I was going to do when I got back and how hard I was going to work. And it was a huge – I tell everybody, it's like one of the biggest moments in my life because I got to, like – plan out what I'm going to do for the rest of my life for six months. And that was like just enough encouragement. Cause I'm sitting there for six months, watching people struggle, watching people go through it. And I'm like, man, I can't wait to be back. Yeah, no doubt. So it's easy revisionist history. It's easy to look back and say, you know, Tony Vitello comes in and kind of changes this with Frank Anderson and obviously Elander and everything, but coming in, I don't think he had this much hype. Nobody really knew what to expect. He was kind of taking over a program that had kind of fallen down. No, no disrespect to Dave Serrano at all, but, there was a, some hype starts getting built. Could you have imagined that when you were told you're going to stay on, you redshirt, could you have imagined the success that you saw in your time there when you committed there? People don't believe me, but honestly, I do because I remember sitting down with guys from our class and even guys a little bit younger, the Evan Russells, the Andre Lipsius's, uh, um, Luke Lipsius, guys like that. And we used to talk about that all the time. And I think that was why, one of the reasons, I mean, um, it's a lot of stuff Coach Vitello and like instilled in us, just work ethic, time at the field, um, getting good guys around us. But I think it was something where, and I think if you're a competitor, you think about these goals and you think about reaching Omaha. And if you don't, I think it's kind of just a soft mentality. But I think as a freshman class, we were pretty highly rated and highly t uh, talented. And I think it was one of those things that we always thought that we had a, we had a chance to do it. No, absolutely. So coming into your red shirt freshman season, you get 16 games out of the bullpen, pitching 17.2 total innings, led the pitching staff with a 2.04 ERA and held opposing hitters to a 243 batting average. So for your first year seeing action, did you live up to your personal expectations and how did that freshman year go for not only you personally, but for you guys as a team? I mean, I think it went – I mean, it wasn't anything we wanted because that first year, now that I'm thinking 2019, 2018, we didn't even make the SEC tournament that year. Um, one of the, the hardest moments I always give Vitello is we go down to LSU that year and um, we play three games. We end up getting swept. But in the Sunday game, we had like a four or five run lead in the ninth inning and we end up getting walked off. I was getting hot from the eighth inning to the ninth inning, and he pitched three guys before me, and I'm always uh, – to this day, I'm just like, Coach, we would have won that game in the box if you just would have put me in, just always giving him that. But um, it, it's one of those things where you look back to that season, and I think from a coaching staff, that's when they're like, we, we got to make some moves. We have to get some dudes in here because um, – we had some talent, but we were just so weak in other areas. So we had to 
add talent to talent to at least make us manageable at the time. Well, as an LSU fan, man, shout out to Coach for not putting you in there and letting us get this. <laughs> yeah, and also you talked about it. Obviously, not only was the talent, but the the grit from guys like you and and Evan Russell too. You know, obviously these guys come in. You guys were all super successful high school players, but you don't build. You don't go from what Tennessee was to what you guys saw it go to without having talent, that work ethic, and that that grit like you talked about. But going into your sophomore season, two and two record and team leading again, even lower, 1.38 ERA, 48 strikeouts, 45.2 innings. But more importantly, you got a lot of action and had success against Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Mississippi State. So talk to me about what it was like to play. Those guys are obviously royalty of the SEC as far as historical. Um, and now, now you, I guess you could say it against Ole Miss for real. They actually have a title. So does Mississippi State. Now Arkansas still looking, but we'll talk about that in a second. But Going through that gauntlet, what was that like for you, just pitching and having so much success against those guys? And it's one of those things you look back at it and, man, you miss that competitive nature, the little butterflies you get before you get on the, the mound and throw that pitch. But um, uh, I, it's one of those things you'll never take it for granted because those are, like you said, the peak of college baseball and great atmospheres. And I remember um, that year and is one of those things we start growing up just looking at those guys like you said as juggernauts of baseball and then i think that's why we were still rebuilding at the time i think we end up i know we get swept by arkansas and we take one from old miss but we we a bunch of the guys would always look at um look at those teams as a lot better than they were and give them way too much credit and i think that was kind of why we weren't so successful and as a team from as me individually I think I had success because I never looked at them as these juggernauts I always looked at them just another baseball player and I think that's one of the things um, coach Anderson tries to put in our heads hey these guys are going to mess it up 30 percent of the time the elite guys are going to mess it up I'm not bad they're going to succeed 30 percent of the time that means they're going to mess up 70 percent of the time and I think if you have that mindset you're like well if I'm up there I'm going to try to make them mess up 80 percent of the time or 10 percent of the time and the next thing you know, you have a successful outing. Yeah, and I think that on here, obviously, though, we, you know, we obviously interview a lot of baseball players, and we follow baseball really closely. And I think it got it got lost on a lot of new baseball fans the last couple of years. On they looked at Tennessee, you know, and we'll get into this in a minute. But as the villain and having this bravado attitude, but for me and Jim and, and DB, I think it's all the same. Is that coming through the struggle that you guys did, and you're talking about it now, and how you were getting swept by LSU and getting swept by Arkansas, taking one from Ole Miss and looking up to them. That that's kind of. Do you think that's kind of when you guys took on that persona, like these guys aren't better than us? We're just as good, if not better, than everybody in this conference. Yeah, a hundred percent. That that whole villain mentality too started when Drew Gilbert got on campus. That like <laughs> we, we understand always talks about he would be out of a job without Drew. And um I somebody asked me the other day who my favorite player ever to come to Tennessee was and it's Drew Gilbert. And this dude, um, best teammate I've ever played with, first off. Him and Evan Russell are top two. Um, but he is a grinder and he he wanted he wanted the attention on him. He knew it. I saw something the other day. It was um, Steph Curry and Draymond Green last year in the finals and Draymond's rattled on the court. So Steph has all the attention on him and starts kind of hyping up the crowd, trying to get the Boston crowd on him. That was Drew Gilbert. Um, and he wanted that. He wanted all that attention. He wanted all the smoke as people say. And um, I, he is unbelievable in so many ways. And I think that kind of, led off into everybody else you start getting guys like Jordan Beck who's actually a pretty quiet dude who wants to be a villain you guys like 
I mean, Seth Stevenson, all Luke those Lipsius. guys. Yes. All those, all those guys start feeding off of that. So um, he's, he's was one of the huge building blocks of why the program is where it is. Yeah, absolutely. So we got going into 2020, you guys get off to a hot start, but obviously we know uh, with COVID kind of ruined the season kind of early, uh, but that's kind of when Tennessee baseball, as far as the culture is what the world knew it as kind of started to shock the world. And we've talked to a lot of your teammates, including we've had, you know, uh, Gilbert on multiple times, Evan Russell, he's like a, a family member of the show. And it's, it's pretty unanimous to me and to us that across the board, you guys thought that was going to be your year to really be special. And I even think it was said on the show that they thought that team was more talented than the 2021 it team. It was Pavoloni who was dead yeah, set on that team. It was the was. governor. He said that was going to be the best team. So do you follow that same train of thought? Oh, yeah, 100%. We had um, – I mean, you have Gary Crochet, a first-rounder, who hadn't even pitched yet. Camden Sewell, who was hurt at the time, too, is still a stud. Um, Jackson Leith, who flies under the radar, is one of the better pitchers we've ever had, and he ends up getting hurt the next year. Um, I mean, Alex Solari was just getting hot. He ended up being a second-rounder. Zach Daniels was the hottest hitter in the country at the time. It was just like stuff, all those guys kind of clicking, and you didn't even get to see what Liam Spence was going to do or what Fergie was going to do yet because we were so, so early in the year, but that team was stout and ready for a long run. Absolutely. So that, that's what I would hate most about COVID, actually. But 2021, <laughs> Tennessee goes 50 and 18, including a trip to Omaha. You make a career high 28 appearances, go five and one, five saves, 2.52 ERA, struck out 40 and 39.1 innings pitched. So what is your confidence like as a guy, along with Sean Hunley, that can be relied on to just come in and shut it down? You talked about being an LSU coach if you had just put me in. How high is your confidence in that 50 and 18 season? Oh, it's, it's pretty high. It's, um, it's one of those, um, you said the 15 and 18 season, 50 and 18. Oh, my yeah, God. Sorry. 18. Um, no, it's, it's super high. It's one of those things. Baseball is such an up and down sport, but, um, I, I tell a lot of the guys, freshmen, especially now confidence, in my opinions, 90% of baseball. I think if you have confidence up there at the play on the mound, um, you're going to be a lot more successful than you would if you didn't have any of it. Um, throwing a pitch is 90% confidence. If I believe I'm going to throw this pitch outside corner, heater away, I'm probably going to get it there. But if I have a little bit of doubt in there, I might miss glove side, might miss a little bit more arm side than I wanted. Um, but for me, it was one of those things. I think I just always believed in my stuff. I, I mean, like I said, watching guys like Garrett Crochet pitch and Garrett Stallings, those guys just knew what they were going to do with their stuff. And they are going to, give you this pitch with everything they got. And um, they kind of kind of put that in me. And they call, having confidence to pitch and watching guys like Hunley do it and knowing that if I mess up, I got somebody like that to pick me up or vice versa is, is pretty comforting. No, absolutely. So let's talk about the, the team and, and the postseason. And, and the first thing I want to ask you about is just what the difference is. And we talked to Vitello about this when he came on from, you know, his dad mentioned that they're, his first time he ever saw – Vitello coach at Tennessee, he counted the number of fans in the stands. And then to see what you guys did when you got to the regionals and the super regionals that year, what was that culture? Was it culture shock for you guys? Or what was that atmosphere like day one to those super regionals and regionals and, you know, Wright State and those kind of games? It's culture shock. That's the only way to say it. You, um, we had a midweek in 2018 or 20, yeah, 2018, JMU. We had 10 fans in the stands and it blows my mind. It was 20 degree or, less than 20 degrees probably and um we ended up getting 
destroyed. I think we ended up getting beat like 15 runs against JMU in a midweek, which you, it's just, that's a different story in itself. But <laughs> then you go back to, like you said, the super regional and the regional and the Drew Gilbert home run where you can't even hear yourself thinking there. Um, and I mean, it's culture shock. That's the only way to put it. It's so different. And it's crazy to see that you've built up something so much that people are um, coming out of masses that people are in the parking lot having tailgates during the game because they can't get into the game. It's kind of cool to see that you built something from nothing in a, in a way. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned Drew Gilbert, you mentioned kind of the walk-off, but I want to know specifically uh, for you, what was that moment like when he's going up to bat? We talked to him about it. What did he feel? And his honest opinion, he said, I didn't feel anything. I knew that I wanted to get, you know, if I, if I saw the pitch I wanted, so I was just going to swing. He goes, but honestly, I wasn't trying to hit a home run. And I'm like, Drew, I don't know if you're lying to me right now because <laughs> – like that was an uppercut. That was Ken Griffey Jr. And the ball is still in orbit. So what's that like that moment for you, man? I, I think it was one of those things. I remember sitting there or um, DH at the time, Peter Case standing. I just came out of the, I pitched the top of the ninth right there. He's up the bat of the bottom of the ninth. So I'm over in my spot. Peter Case next to me. We look at each other and we go, he's about to hit a home run right here. And next thing you know, he swings over the first one. Hits the second one. I'm with you. There's no chance he's going for. He always messes like single up the middle, but no shot. That's a that's a home run derby swing right there. And um, it was one of those things. Not many people like he's just that clutch. Um, take it back to a moment um, against LSU at home that year. Um, probably my worst my worst outing of my career against them. Um, I give up a home run to Cruz off the batter's eye, and I give up a home run to uh, Gavin Dugas. Was it Dugas or yeah, I think it was Dugas off the batter's eye. So I'm like down bad. Game gets rained out. We're tied at that point. Um, Drew Gilbert comes. No, I mean, we're down eight seven. Drew Gilbert comes up to me the next day after the game gets rained out. He's like taps me on the chest. He's like, "Hey, I got you." Next thing you know, he hits a double, scores a run, and then his next AB up, he hits a walk off run run. And that's just kind of the guy he is. He's always he's a winner and competitor, and that's why I have the utmost respect. And I think he's the most important player in Tennessee baseball history. For what it's worth, Redmond Dylan Cruz is the best player in baseball. You know, it is what it is. But hey, guys, I I texted Evan and Drew in our group chat, and I and I told him what Redmond said, and Evan said Drew is my favorite player as well. And I said, well, Evan, Evan, you're mine, man. Forget Drew, even though that may not be true, because Randy will tell you that that home run we're talking about. Um, there's like five billion views on TikTok of it. I'm like four billion of it. I think I've watched it that many times. True story, Redmond. As that as that happened, I have at the time I have a four year old, so he was you know, a baby, like a, like a, almost a newborn at the time. He's asleep in the chair next to me and I'm watching it. And as soon as Drew, it comes off of his bat, I jump up, scream. Obviously this kid, he's not even crawling yet. Right. He jumps up in the air. I got to like catch him, but I regret nothing. Redmond. I regret absolutely nothing because it was a to clutch moment. But for you guys, obviously that's a huge moment. Crowd's going crazy. TikTok viral, all that good stuff. But talk to me about the moment, not only that, but then you go on, you punch your ticket to Omaha. That moment, do you ever get to stop and just take in what all, what this all means, or are you just so caught up in the moment you got to think about what's next? Um, I think freshman me would have been caught up in the moment, but I remember um, we win that thing and we get our we go out to the to our like meeting after we do our dog pile and everything, and Coach Vitello just turned to us and say, "Turn around," he said, "Take this in." He said, take this in. And that we, I just remember everybody looking up at the crowd and kind of seeing everything. And I mean, it's 
one of those moments you'll never forget. You'll always have that, that celebration going to Omaha and um, just being with your, your boys. That's the thing that you start noticing those teams that you went a lot with, you're a lot closer. So like I said, I'm in this uh, fantasy football league and it's all guys that were on that 2021 team. And we text daily, usually just about how bad a trade was or how bad a team is or, and, um, but it's one of those things are, we were so close and that's why we were so good. In my opinion is we, Liam Spence wanted to get a hit to help Fergie out. And I wanted to get an out to help true Gilbert out. And it's one of those things I always, somebody always had somebody's back. No, absolutely. So obviously you guys come up short in Omaha, but for you guys and, and for you as well, personally, but what did you learn as a team on kind of what it takes and that grind that it takes to not only be there, but to get some more wins? Man, it's just um, one, having each other's back, and two, being hot at the right time. I thought it was one of those things. We played good all season, but you can tell from the Ole Miss team last year. Um, oh, yeah. I, who said who can say they're the best team in the country or not the best team in the country? I'll tell you one thing. In that span of the postseason, they're the best team, and there's no argument a bit against it. So. Oh, I'm going to tell you what right now. Hold well, on, man. Randy, didn't say will, that. Randy will tell you I've been at war on social media for a while now i was at that tennessee old miss series even after they won it all because they're red hot i said i'll lay my house my car and everything we can we can put tennessee back at swayze the next weekend and give me tennessee all day but who was it that came on here that said like tennessee was the best well we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves but this last year there's like tennessee was the best team you it know but you're right. it was delusia yeah, delusia right this guy's the he's the most, outstanding, one, most player. outstanding player in the world series and he we're on here and he says look that was the best team in the country. Those guys were ridiculously good, top to bottom, pitching, hitting, everything. So, but let's get into 2022. One of the, one of my, it's probably one of my favorite in Tennessee sports. I've been a Tennessee fan for my entire life, right? Since the early 90s. I'm a lot older than you are, Redman. Don't, don't take it out on me, though. It's all good. So, 2022, you're no longer the hunter. You're the hunted now the, with the 50 wins going to Omaha. And not only do you guys surpass that, but a 57 and nine overall record. You yourself, you're four and one, seven saves, seven saves, two point five two ERA, forty strikeouts, and only ten walks. So, I got to ask about getting to toe the rubber. First thing, Minute Maid Park. Talk to us about what that experience was like for you. And it it was one of as dream come true for a guy that when I was three years old wanted to play in the MLB, getting to play in Minute Maid, which I mean you get a historic team like the Astros who. You watch all the time on TV, and I luckily I got to do it on Saturday and Sunday, so I got to do it twice and um, pitching well there. And just like tell my dad all the time, I was like, I swear the mound's better there, the atmosphere's better, the grass is even better there than anywhere else. And um, you just get a huge like adrenaline rush, and it's one of those things is you get to a fifth, six, you get to a sixth year like I was. You um, you should always have a little bit of adrenaline, but some places give you a little bit more than others. And that was one of those places I was just ready to go, ready to get out the gates, and ready to be on that mound. How impressed were you by the uh, the Tennessee showing? Because I was there. Y'all had a lot of fans that came down there. Man, Tennessee fans are the craziest. They um, That's true. They, they're one of the people, and that's why you love them so much. You win, they love you. You lose, they love you, but they're going to hate on you. It's one We're of those let you know. Love, hate. And they, um, they'll let you know all about it. And that's why I'm always like, Tennessee fans just they that's why they're so great is they're they're um they love Tennessee to a fault at times. Passion it's the word. Passion, yes. And they're just awesome in that way. 
Look, it's look, fan is short for fanatic for a reason, Redmond. <laughs> but I got to ask you a question. Obviously, you get to pitch against Oklahoma and Baylor, like you just mentioned. Obviously, you know, Oklahoma ended up, you know, getting to the final there. But so pitching against those teams. But I want to ask you a different question. That's kind of when the country gets introduced to Chase Burns, too, is in the, in the Shriners Classic. Talk about how impressed you as a pitcher and as a leader on this team, how impressed were you with the young cat at Minute Maid Park in that first game against Texas? Oh, where's I want to describe it? it? The composure of him to be in that game in that moment. Because if you go back and look at his other starts, um, I think it's Georgia Southern and maybe it was just Georgia Southern at the time. Maybe one over, maybe like a Rhode Island. But, I mean, it's just some not out of conference, no power five. I mean, it's it's kind of low pressure. And then you come in and see him do it on the big stage. You see the sliders almost unhittable. I mean, I think it is unhittable. I think they only got a hit off a home run that night. It was a heater. And, um, yeah. And one of those things, just to see how impressive he was and how dominant he was, you're like, man, I'm watching a first-rounder right here. No doubt. You know, you mentioned earlier, you know, you told Vitello that if he had just pitched you that uh, you would have won the LSU game. And, and I said this, and, and I'm probably wrong. Vitello probably made the right call, but I texted Jim and DB at the moment, and I said, I, I think Vitello might have cost him this game. He pulled Chase a little early, but I understood it. You know, young guy, you you try, you want to save him. You, but, man, he was just – it was so nasty. And to go up against a guy like he was going up against and, and maybe pitching as well, if not better, I was just so impressed because I knew who Chase Burns was, highly regarded recruit. But I can't tell you that I've ever been more impressed with a freshman coming and getting a start in that moment and being that good. And then not winning the game, though. So, I think Vitello cost y'all. But, anyways, let's move on. You didn't tell him that when he came on here. <laughs> uh, I didn't tell Vitello that. No, we didn't get into that. <laughs> I did tell Chase Burns that, though. So, a lot of domination for you guys over the course of the regular season. I got to ask you, though, for you, Redmond, what was your favorite series or favorite outing for you? Um, I had to um, Ole Miss. I come in and pitch on Sunday. I think I punch out um, yeah, five of the four outs or something like that. Um, we end up getting, I always give, Russell always gives me a hard time because he had two pass balls all years and they were both on me on changeups that cut. They were both strikeouts. So one of those things we're both, he's kind of always bumping heads on that. But, um, but it was one of my favorites because, like I said, number one at the time, um, a sweep feels a lot better than just to win the series, especially on Sunday. And um, I come in, I think I punch out Gonzalez, and I punch out Elko in the eight, which Elko's one of my favorite players to ever play college baseball. He's just a, he's the nicest dude ever, and he's just had a great career. And him doing what he did in 2021, just, I was like, I'm a huge fan of this dude. Um, but then he's coming a in. a statue, Redman. I mean, you struck out the dude that's getting a statue. <laughs> and then the other guy he lists off is going to, is projected right now to be the number two overall pick. So, I mean. No, no, very true. Studs Wait. on that team. Oh, Miss was stupid oh, talented. Of, they were super talented. And you can come in, and I think I get two, two or three in the next inning, and you're just like, um, it's just pretty cool to just kind of shut it down like that. Um, for especially for a guy like me who, you know, have a punch out or two a game, but never anything like that, just kind of having my best stuff that day. Absolutely. So we got a couple rules on the show, Redman. You know, obviously, we're big supporters of uh, SEC baseball, college baseball in general. But uh, we've never had a representative from two teams in the SEC, and that's Vanderbilt and Florida. And I don't think we're going to change that rule ever. Um, so I was hoping you were going to say one of those, but I understand why you said the Ole Miss one personally for yourself. But you know what my personal favorite was? Which Sweeping one? Sweeping Vanderbilt in yeah. Nashville. 
<laughs> I loved it. Because, I mean, we talk about being the royalty of the SEC in baseball. I mean, I can't deny the success that that team has had, that program has had, what Tim Corbin's been able to build. But their fans really, like, they really hate y'all. Yeah, I remember looking out to um, right field. They had the big parking garage. And they just had all these banners up there, like, just saying different stuff, like, check the bat. And everything, like anything you say about Jordan Beck and um, and those guys, they they hate us. And that's one of the things I think it's mutual for both teams because you want to just beat those guys more than about anybody in the country. Absolutely. So you got we talked about it already, but you guys kind of you embrace the role of the villain, specifically Drew Gilbert, Jordan Beck, and those guys. Did you feel like that put more of a target on your back? Did it add any pressure, or was that something you guys welcomed? I think for the most part we welcomed it. I think. Um, I think we played better under it. I think we loved having guys' best games because when we came out of it, we knew that they gave us everything they had for nine innings and that we were able to handle them and a lot of times just punish them for nine innings. Yeah, absolutely. So you guys, obviously, that another one of my favorites, you know, you get to the SEC tournament, and obviously the year before it was a big thing. You go back and forth with Arkansas, they end up taking it. But last year you guys end up taking the SEC against my other hated rival the Florida Gators just made it all the more better but y'all start absolutely taking care you win the SEC take care of business in the regionals super regionals and, and it's well documented on this show the one team I did not want you guys to face was Notre Dame and it wasn't like I had a confidence issue with you guys ability at all I just felt like that was such a grown team like that was a group of men that it kind of worried me that they wouldn't come in and be intimidated by the environment. They wouldn't be intimidated by the bravado. So for you, as a veteran player yourself, kind of one of the older guys on the team, right, were you fully aware of how good that team was going to be? Not that anybody took them lightly, but how, how, what, did you, what was you guys feeling as Notre Dame's coming in for the, the regionals, super regionals? Yeah, I think it was one of those things. We, um, we knew that we had a talented team coming in. Um, I think – we, we underestimated the talent and we knew how, how mature that team was. You come in and you have, I mean, they had two of the best relievers I think we'd seen all year and um, a lineup who had hit some home runs, but nothing like they did when they got there. And um, I think it shocked us. They punched us in the jaw. And a lot of times all year we got punched, we were able to punch them back and kind of win the fight, but they punched us really hard that first game. And we were, we were kind of scrapping and losing coach a and losing drew and the, I guess the first game was kind of um, a dagger for us because you have two guys who are just staples and guys who are kind of comforting to us um, out and guys that we can kind of lean on. Redman, I got to out my boy. You know what happened to me the week at the Monday after Notre Dame put you guys out? Man, it's my, hey, hold on. I know what you're (laughs) fixing to say. I think it's my greatest thing I ever did as producer of this show. (laughs) So Monday night, we got a guest. And it's uh Jack Brannigan. Jack Brannigan. So I gotta get he, on here. He only hit three bombs against y'all. Nobody did. I gotta get on here and look this guy in the face that just put my team out and like damn near did it by himself on offense for mo- some of those games. Oh yeah. But let me tell you something, Redman. He really countered it because he was so nice. And all he said the whole time was like, that team is so good. Like that team was I'm like. Don't you patronize me, Jack Brannigan. <laughs> Randy was so upset because going into the episode, he was ready just to just hate him. Oh, like, man, I just, wanted to. Just, and then at the end of it, he's like, guys, I really want to hate him, but I just can't. <laughs> he I was just so can't. humble and nice. 
like the opposite of me. I didn't like it at all. <laughs> but, oh, man, it was tough. I just wanted to out Jim on that. But, anyways, so, you know, we talk about the Notre Dame team. And that team, the year before, it's been well documented. They went to Duty Noble. And, and, and Jack Brannigan even said that really prepared them for the moment at Lindsey Nelson. And it, that's how you kind of get that growing pain. So, for them, you know, you take them three games. You actually pitched the final inning. You guys ultimately lost, but reflecting back, how much fun was this season? And what did Coach V say to you guys after it was kind of over? Yeah, it was one of those things. I think even for him, um, it took him a, a couple of days to even kind of formulate what to say because there's not a right thing to say. The team was, and you all said it, in my opinion, best team in the country definitely last year, but one of the best teams ever. Um, the depth of the bullpen, the starting pitching, the lineup. I mean, even your reserves. I mean, you were switching between Blake Burke and Christian Moore as your DH. And Blake Burke had 10 batting three something. And Christian Moore is probably the most clutch player besides Drew Gilbert that I've ever played with. Um, and you just kind of look at it and you're just like, you just don't know what, because you get punched in the mouth. And no, I don't think there was a guy on the team that expected us to lose that day. I think everybody thought, especially – Chase Burns was pitching lights out all day. Um, we had three great relievers, and Kirby, Sewell, and me all hadn't thrown all weekend. And you're just like, hey, this is our game to win. Their two best guys have already thrown, and you lose that game and you're just kind of lost for words and don't even know what's, what's happening next, what's, what's the next plan. And um, the final thing from Coach Vitello was that this team had put this program – and a place for future success. Like, yeah, we didn't get to where we want to, but everything that this team has done has made Tennessee baseball better for the future. And that I, I remember him getting very emotional and he's like, I promise you, he's like, I don't know how I'm going to do it or what, but every guy that's on here that hasn't been to Omaha, I'm going to find a way to get you back to Omaha. And he's just like, I mean, that's just him. He, he's, he cares so much for each one of us and he's just such a great dude that, um, man, he, he was lost for words, and that was one of the few times I've ever seen him like that. Well, you, you mentioned, you know, he, he's going to try to find a way to get you guys back to Omaha. Um, obviously, the, the season ends. You, you go on to earn your bachelor's degree in aerospace engineering from Tickle College of Engineering. Um, you completed your graduate certificate in engineering education in May of 2022. What talk to me a little bit about the importance of academics for you and and why you chose that field of study? Yeah, so for me, it was just something I wanted to do. I, I always loved math and science part of school, and um, I always liked to challenge too. I didn't realize what kind of challenge I was getting into when I, I did it, didn't realize how much how demanding it was, but um, it was one of those things I always wanted to have if baseball never worked out I wanted to have something else to fall back on that I loved and something that inspired me and that's why I ended up doing aerospace engineering um I wanted to work with which I had a minor in mechanical and um, I always wanted to do something and that aspect of it if it was building planes or working on um boats or something like that that was kind of my idea if baseball didn't work out so at that point, when you're saying, you know, in case baseball doesn't work out, let me go ahead and let me let me finish this up. In your head, is that where you're leaning? Are you leaning to going out and going, all right, you know, I'm going to go be, you know, build planes. I'm going to go build boats or 
did you still have a like a, a yearning to to do something with baseball yeah i um I had a yearning. I, I mean, I definitely kept my options open for the draft, but you got to be realistic to a point. Um, statistics are great, but when you start looking into it, you look at projectability in the draft and you look for guys that are going to be longtime big leaguers. And you look at my numbers from a, from a analytical standpoint. I mean, my last year I was 83, 87 up to 89. Um, good change up, decent curveball is one of those things I, Hoped I'd get a chance, but when it didn't happen, I was all right with it because I was comfortable with a fallback. But um, a reason I didn't go out and get an engineering job right away is because I did want to get into coaching. I wanted to see what was out there. And that's where this whole gig um, starts to happen. So obviously you, you join, you know, Tony V's staff. You're the volunteer quality control staffer with a focus then on the, the pitching staff itself. So, you know, that's a lot of words. Break down to me, like, what is that role and what do you do on a day-to-day basis? Pretty much what it is, I help Coach A. And that was a lot of it. Um, I wanted to get into, well, how it ended up happening was um, Coach Rotello, who, if he's listening to this, I'd say it live, he's a weirdo. He cracks, he's just so off about some stuff. So he, I'm at home a couple of weeks after the season and he's just like, he texts me, he's like, hey, I'm just like, what's up, coach? I don't get anything back for like a day or two. And then I get another text two days later, and he's like, we can't lose you. I'm just like, is it? he's like, text me like my ex-girlfriend or something. It's just like, just so, it's like coded. Like, I'm trying to figure it out. But anyways, he ends up giving me a call that same day, and he's just like, hey, he's like, you mean too much of the program. You mean too much of me and Frank. We want to try to keep you around. We want to try to find a way to um, keep you in the program especially knowing that this team this year is so talented, but at the same time, very, very young. I mean, you don't, you lose so many guys from that team. And um, at the same time, he knows that I want to get into coaching. And I mean, there's not a better place in the country to do it than under that coaching staff. And what I do over there now is um, I help coach a lot of times I help coach Anderson um, with the analytical part of it. So setting up Rapsodo, going through data, watching video, um, helping Richard with, some of the on-field stuff and um, just kind of whatever, whatever task needs to be done. So as you know, when you look at the comparison of age there, does you being a young cat help when it comes to the analytics and the technology and the availability of things like that, that's out there and like not so much showing coach a how it works, but really like analyzing what it means. Yeah, for the most part, I think a lot of it too. He he knows um, some of the numbers. He he doesn't care about some of them too. But just kind of having somebody there to at least help him with some of the stuff that um, that honestly he he doesn't need to do. He's been through so much. When you go through his career, which could be a three hour podcast, but um, just kind of help him with some of the the BS that he doesn't even need to be doing because of how prestigious he is. It's kind of really what it is. And um, for him just to have certain parts of the data that he can look at and make changes instantly just by seeing it. So, you know, with this, is this a job where you're going to travel with the team or are you going to stay in Knoxville on a day-to-day basis? I'll be traveling with the team. And with the traveling, man, I got to ask, there's, there's obviously, you know, you're, you're a newlywed now. There's probably a family at some point. 
Um, how is how is this next step? You know, you know, are you adapting well to it? Are you feeling like it's a little bit more difficult than you thought? I mean, being that it's a little bit of the same because a player is doing a lot of the same things, but really, I guess the pressure you know, to win at a high level is now there as opposed to a player. It's just automatically ingrained. You're going to go out there and perform. Now it's like, well, if you don't perform, like you're going to be moving somewhere else. No, it's definitely a, um, it's a learning curve. And that's kind of why I wanted to get into it to see if college coaching was for me. It was one of those things, like I said, if there's a place to do it, there's not many better places than Tennessee right now. And the opportunity was there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things, just figuring out the time commitment was the biggest part of it because you're there a ton as a player, um, but you're there a lot as a lot more as a coach. Um, and it, it's crazy to see, and but it's also cool to see guys like Coach Anderson and Frank and Elander um, and Vitello, all those guys, how much time they really do spend. Like, I think the highest of Coach Elander out of any recruiting coordinator in the country, just because I see it on a daily basis. The man has a, a awesome wife and a four-year-old kid, and he is on the road as much as anybody, and he is helping throw BP till 7, 8 o'clock at night when he has to, and he is always doing something to help the team get better. And that, that was the craziest part is you, the thing you start to notice and why we weren't successful in 2017 and why we are successful in 2021, 2022 it's just how much time these guys spend with these kids. And, um, I mean, it really is your family. You spend more time with them over the last five, six years than you do your own family. And that's why they've been so successful. And that's why I kind of got into it and kind of started to see now that you think it's this much time you put into it, but it's actually this much time. And that's how you become successful. Well, I absolutely think you have one of the coolest jobs. I mean, you know, you talk about that whole staff, and but specifically, I mean, Tony V, I'm not a Tennessee fan, but I think he's the coolest coach in America in every sport across the board. And then when you look at the arms you're working with, you know, we've talked about it, Dolander, Berms, Beam, you know, Sewell, Kirby, all those guys. So, like, just the, the idea that you get to still be a part of that culture, be a part of that coaching staff and work with those arms, man, like, uh, you know, sky's the limit, I think, especially again this season, um, you know, and so we expect big things. But with that, we're going to – we're going to get off the uh, the hot seat, so to speak, and put you on a different one. We're going to play a game called This or That. You down to play? Yeah, I know how to play. You know how to play. Are you sure? All right. Yeah. The, the, the rules are, though, you can't say neither or say both. You got to be decisive in your picks. All right. So, first one out the gate. Easy one. You a beach guy or a lake guy? Beach guy. All right, you're going to hit the beach down there on the honeymoon, right? Like, Orlando isn't exactly by the beach, but, you know, a couple-hour drive, you can hit it up. Yeah, we'll find one. We'll find one down there. I mean, he'll, he'll be in the Keys after that. I mean, there ain't nothing. That's all that's there. Yeah, you're on the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, it's a tough one for you. What's more iconic, Kirby's stash or Ben Joyce's fastball? Oh, Kirby's stash. Oh, he had no, he had no problem. Is that is that because that's one of your your fellow pitchers? Is that or well, they're both pitchers. Yeah, ben Joyce is yeah, too. Yeah, I was. I don't know what I was thinking. I, 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 have, to, I have to go Kirby Stash because, and he'll he'll admit it. It was fifty percent my idea. I'm the guy that bought the wax for it. I'm the guy. When he started talking about it, but I kind of helped him with it. So, hey man, I got a question. I'm gonna interrupt this, but at the scrimmage, I saw, is it Zach Joyce, Ben's younger brother, or is he is he younger? Yeah. 
They, I mean, they. It looks like the same dude from a distance. He's he's insane. He he threw again today, and he's his arm. He's not one hundred and five, but I mean, his stuff is. He's got four pitches, and he's he's pretty electric. You you know how I botched that, Randy? It actually was originally Jordan Beck's hair, but in Beck never gets chosen, so I figured I'd switch it up <laughs> and throw Ben Joyce's fastball. So that's why I actually said as a pitcher guy, because normally it's Beck on the other end. But anyway, so Kirby beats Yeah, so Kirby's beating everybody. So Car- clearly I got to take Kirby out this question for the Tennessee guys. <laughs> he, we got to move on past him. So uh, if you can go to any concert or any sporting event, bucket list concert, bucket list sporting event, what are you picking, a concert or a sporting event? Oh, sporting event. What's the sporting event? Where are you going? I want to go to um, – I want to go watch Yankees, Red Sox, Fenway, but – in the postseason. That's like the dream. See that atmosphere. Who you want to come out on top? Depends on who who's pitching that game I'm watching. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Not a not a bad choice at all. All right. Now we're gonna get Beck in the mix. Who hits better bombs? Drew Gilbert or Jordan Beck? Oh, oh. Uh, I gotta go with Gil, but that's my man. All right. So with that choice, could Gilbert beat Blake Burke in a home run derby? No. <laughs> not a chance not a gilbert chance. would never ever admit that <laughs> <laughs> man i uh, see Luke burke flick things out and it's just like that man's built different yeah and then when they put those uh those videos of the swing view of him him and ken griffey jr which is interesting because they're built so differently but it <laughs> looks identical it's like my god and he thinks he's built like ken griffey though <laughs> All right, so we talked about embracing the villain thing, but, you know, we've had some of your teammates don't necessarily prefer to be the villain. Would you Would you rather be the hero or would you rather be the villain? I'd rather be the hero. Who's your favorite superhero? Thor. Thank you. A Marvel guy. These guys are all about the Batman. I'm, I'm so glad, Redman. You're my guy. <laughs> all right. This one's going to be tough. Maybe. Who's smarter, you or Luke Lipsius? Uh, it, it's Luke. I tell him all the time. I tell him he's he's the reason I passed engineering. So <laughs> I, I hope my professors aren't listening to this, but most of my good grades are because of him. The truth comes out. Luke's been doing the homework. <laughs> all right. So this one's a tough one for me. As a non-Tennessee guy, I, I think y'all have the best uniforms in sports across the board. But, you know, whether we're talking about baseball or football, you know, better uniform, the Smoky Grays or the Dark Mo Blacks? Uh, the Blacks might be my favorite. Um, I mean, even the pitching the SEC championship with them, that's that's one of the coolest moments. So that, those Blacks are pretty sick. I thought the Blacks were my favorite, but when y'all came down to LSU in football, I was there for the game and beat our ass in those beautiful gray uniforms. I actually think that had something to do with it. I think that's the reason why I'll beat it so bad. Those uniforms are just awesome. No, they are. Um, last question, man. Tough one. Would you rather have massive success on accident or modest success on purpose? I'd go, man, you got to say, mm, that's a tough one. That's, that's the best one. Um. Man, you got to go massive success on accident, right? It's one of those things. It's like I feel like modest success would get fine to the way our massive success would end up having a better result or a greater uh, result. Yeah, Randy has the best way of putting it. Go ahead and put it down, Randy. 
Yeah, man. So, Redman, I think you're a smart guy, even if Lipschitz was doing your homework. If I was to give you two options, I'm going to give you $100 million or you can earn $20 million. Which one are you going to take? The 100 mil. Of course, every time. But a lot of times, lately it hasn't been happening as much. But when we first started asking the question, everybody, oh, let me earn my 20. Let me earn my 20. And I'm like, all right, well, now I got 80 more million dollars because you want to be a dummy. Mm-hmm. Just, just take the 100 mil. Yeah. <laughs> If somebody's going to give it to you, just take it. That's it. No shame in that at all. Redmond, man, it's been a pleasure, dude. Anything you want to plug or promote before we let you roll? No, I'm just grateful to be on here. Thank you all so much for this. Absolutely. You know, I always am prepared just in case you guys don't say anything that you want to plug or promote. So if you're hearing this and you want to know what Redmond Walsh does on just a, a random Tuesday or maybe what he's going to do at Disney this weekend or in the Keys, go on over to Instagram at Redmond Walsh. You'll see his day-to-day in picture story form, and it's beautiful, man. It's, it's, it's a great sight. Or if you want to just follow him on the diamond, see him in, in his coaching fatigue and what it's like in his new role, going over to at ball underscore baseball. Check them out. Stay in the loop. Know what the Vols are doing because it's going to be a spectacular special season. Redmond, man, we we wish you nothing but the best. If there's anything we can do for you along the way, please reach out to us, brother. For sure. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Redmond Walsh, everybody. We're going to take a quick little break. When we come back, we're going to do headlines. All right, boys. So you know I've struggled with pain. You know I've struggled with weight loss. You know I've struggled with anxiety, and you know I've struggled with sleep. What if I told you there was a place that could help you with all of these things? True Life Dispensary. Pain relief without narcotics. Sleep, weight loss, anxiety relief. You can find this at 117 West Commerce Street in Hernando. Hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 7, Saturday, 10 to 5. So check them out and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got headlines for you, and we're going to lead off, not with Major League Baseball, with some Grizzlies. The Grizz, Randy. Dude, obviously, um, you know, big win against the T-Wolves, then turn around against the the Wizards, and they get spellbound and, and got, you know, got beat. I'll ask you, man, Given their record right now, how they're playing, knowing what's coming back, are we in a good good position or are we still struggling when we lose to teams like the Wizards? No, I don't think you can really take a lot out of that game. Obviously, you want to win every time, but you're going on the road. You don't have Ja. You don't have Desmond Bain. You still don't have Jaron Jackson. Um, I think what you – what you have to lean on is the fact that younger guys are getting some playing time and they didn't just get completely blown out of the gym. These guys are getting useful minutes in NBA games. You want to see some of the starters. I mean, that were the bench players that were starters in this game play probably a little bit better, but when you don't have, and and I'm not saying this just as a biased Grizzlies fan, the best backcourt in the NBA right now, you, you're not going to win a whole lot of games. The best news that came out of this week was that Jaron Jackson was listed on the uh, questionable, injury report so I think we're really leaning towards Jaron coming back sooner than later and from listening and reading everything today I think we might see Jaron uh tomorrow night at New Orleans I think you know he's traveling with the team he looks good he's doing five on five 
I think we'll see him play maybe 20, 25 minutes or something like that. Maybe, maybe less, but I'm just excited that we're nine and five, 14 games in going to the Pelicans house with a chance to see triple J in action. And obviously so, you want Jaron and I mean, uh, John Desmond, you got to have those guys. Yeah. I mean, given what the way, obviously that new Orleans started the season, we thought like this would be a good benchmark game, you know, as far as rivalry, you know, given what we got. Um, but they've kind of cooled off a little bit. But, you know, the Pelicans are notoriously, you know, one of those teams that's that can be a heel um, for us. Given that, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. could play, if he does play, does he start or does he just come in and play spot minutes? Uh, you know, he probably does not start. He probably comes in, you know, gets some some minutes here and there. They're going to try to ease him back into this thing. But uh, from all accounts that I've read and all reports and five on five, he he looks really good. Um, I think it's a testament to the work that he's put in in the offseason and how serious he's taken the recovery. But to your point about the Pelicans, and they have cooled off a little bit, but I still they're losing a, a lot of games by three, two. I still think that that is the future, is that Grizzlies-Pelicans is going to be that rivalry for a long time. And you're right. We talk about the Mavericks a lot being kind of the team that the Grizzlies can't beat. The Pelicans are right up that alley, and you got a lot of talent when you got C.J. Ingram and you know Zion doing what he's doing. I, I think when these teams are healthy, 30, 40 games down the line, that's going to be when we really get to see them at full tilt. And, and I'm excited because I think they match up really well against each other. So currently sitting nine and five, and, you know, there's there's talk about where the Grizzlies could land. Do you think, you know, where we're sitting now, do you think that they can finish two in the West like they did last year, or is that not a, a realistic expectation for those guys, just given that the Jazz are playing well, the you know you got the trailblazers playing well but then you throw the nuggets the suns the mavericks all in that mix because they're you know typical teams that are that are up there every year yeah i don't i i've been saying it since the beginning i thought that two was probably a little bit high but you know kind of as the season goes on i don't expect the trailblazers to stay at the top even even when they get dame back i think it's great what they're doing but i think the jazz are a lot better than anybody expected i expect phoenix to get better dallas i think that if i'm being realistic with myself i think the grizzlies barring injuries are you know anywhere from 3 to 6 and because i just don't know to to recreate what they had last year i mean they were just went what were they like 23 and 3 or something without ja that's not normal and so I don't even know if if with Jaw that's is really sustainable in the NBA just out of attrition and everything. So I, it's not out of the realm of possibility, but I think that if we're just being realistic on what our floor is, that's the six and ceiling. Well, I'll say it's it's two, but I'm in the middle. I think they're between three and six. I mean, you, which is crazy when you look at the the record last year, fifty six and twenty six puts them you know three games ahead of the third place team, the Warriors, but then three games from the Warriors in that three spot puts you in the seventh spot. So like really the, the, I think that's the issue is could they finish two? Absolutely. They could finish two, but if they're three games worse than what they were, that could be the mat, the, that could be the difference between a two spot or a six spot or a three spot. 
and a seven spot. So let me ask you a question, DB, because you brought up the Warriors. At what point, and I think we all would agree that that you know they'll figure it out and they'll get better, but at what point, I mean, they rolled off a five-game losing streak where they lost to the Hornets, the Pistons, the Heat, the Magic, and the Pelicans, and they just lost to the Kings last night. So at what point do we start really looking at the Warriors as has their time passed? Clay's not – I think we all on this show are big fans of Clay, even though we all hate the Warriors, but Clay's been a good dude. He's not the same player. Draymond – Draymond. Wiggins is Wiggins. Obviously, you still have Steph, but that's not enough to keep them towards the top. So do we feel like that's a playoff team? Do we feel like they're – a seven, eight seed that's really dangerous if they get in and that's when they figure it out. No, um, you know, my, my motto, you're the champs until someone beats you. And I'm not convinced that just because they're sitting at five and eight right now, they are a team that if they want, if they played the next 10 games and they won eight of them, like that wouldn't surprise me. And I don't think that would surprise anybody. They're a team that has the ability to do that. Right now, what they're showing, they should there to me, there should be a little bit of cause for an alarm. Um, but I don't think it's like a 911 situation. Let's turn the page on this and this is the end of something. Well, um, let me ask you this though. The way that they're playing right now, Steph is literally at a career high. He's averaging 33 points a game. And I've been the one to say this is the beginning of time. That's not how teams are going to win in the modern NBA with a guy scoring that much and not being as efficient as they always were. They don't seem to have the bodies and coming in. Everybody's like, man, Wiseman looks healthy. They got this guy. They've drafted really well. They got a great coach. Is it just early? They're just, I mean, they're older and they know that, hey, we can flip a switch. Yeah, I think that's it. I think when you've been there, you've done that, you know kind of what it takes. Um, but I will say that they're playing in the wrong conference to be in a hole and try to dig themselves out of it. Um, but I think right now they're okay. I, I would fully expect them to be back in the mix, you know, um, by the end of the year, they'll be right back, you know, where they probably should be. Not um, before the Christmas day game. I hope no Christmas day game. You know what? Draymond green. I, I, I'm not even going to give you the time or day with your nonsense. Hey, yeah. I just got to say this one last thing. Jim, I'm going to ask you this because you know a little bit about a tumultuous team. Do you think there's a level of distraction with Draymond literally Superman punching Jordan Poole? And I don't just mean that on Draymond. Jordan Poole was the guy that came in, and he's not bowing down to these Steph Curry's, Clay Thompson's, Draymond Green's. He's coming in saying, look, I this is my team now. We know that it's Steph's team. But do you think that whole thing is kind of shaking the foundation of what the Warriors have been? Yeah, I mean, anytime you have anything like that, and they're always going to try to downplay it, you know. And and in the first game of the season, I remember there was a specific play where like Jordan Poole like do a do a pass to to Draymond, and and then there was another one, vice versa, and they were like, look at the two of these guys play together, and that was cute for them to like you know try to sell us on that, but. Um, this is a drama there. And then, like you said, the Jordan Poole feeling like it's his time when ultimately, like you said, it's still Steph's team. 
Um, I, I definitely think it's there, but I'm with I'm with Daniel in the sense of like, you know, about that whole championship pedigree thing. Like, man, and you know, the, you remember how we for the Lakers for the last couple of years, people kept saying they just needed to get in and they'd be fine. And that wasn't true. I, I I feel like that is more so true with the Warriors. Not necessarily that they'd be like the favorite to win, but they are a team that I think could come from a six, seven, eight spot and actually make it. Whereas that Lakers team that was fool's gold. Yo. Oh, that was weird. Had to edit that out, man. All right. So, you know, you talk about the Warriors, you know, and where they're at, but the Lakers, you know, they're they're floating around there too. And we talk about, you know, being at the pinnacle, knowing how to win and, and getting it done, but now not playing or meeting expectations. And now could the Warriors jump? Could this be the start of what the Lakers have been the past couple of seasons? Uh, I don't think they're quite there yet. And the the Lakers problems are not necessarily the same as the Warriors, um, because specifically the main problem that the Lakers have is, is shooting and defense. And those are typically things the Warriors have been good at. Um, the problem the Lakers may have ran into by now is, uh, you know, their trade value, you know, everybody's always talked about the Westbrook thing, but the person that, that would have been best to offload when they were at their highest was Anthony Davis. And now, you know, because he's so injury prone, how much value does he hold? And so you're really handcuffed to this team. But I'll tell you guys, not just because I'm a Westbrook fan, um, if you see what he's done since he's been to the bench and running his own unit, if I'm a team like – there may be uh, that contract sucks, but there may be a way that like somebody might try to do it because he's been killing it off the bench and then bringing Anthony Davis into the equation when he is healthy. They beat the Nets last night and it was the the Westbrook and AD show. LeBron didn't play. And um, I mean, they played so well together last year. They went on a five game win streak when they didn't have LeBron. Like I've always said, that's not saying Westbrook's better than LeBron. That's not that's stupid. That's not what I'm trying to say. But like the two of them just can't play together. And I believe the way Westbrook fits with Anthony Davis is a lot better than the way LeBron fits with Anthony Davis. But now the Warriors and the the Lakers are two separate teams with two separate problems. And I think the Warriors can fix themselves. I don't think there's anything that can be done to fix the Lakers. I think you, you brought it up, though, about the, the contract. I think that Westbrook is thriving in the role they have him in. But the, the salary cap, the hard cap in the NBA is $156 million. So that literally means that you, a third of your salary cap is spent on one player. And could Westbrook go to another team and be a starter? Probably. But could you get Westbrook on a team where he's going to be the best player on the team? I don't think at this point in his career that's what you're going to do. So I just don't see a team doing that for him. So to your point, Anthony Davis was absolutely the most marketable star that you could trade, and now can you do that? And what we really know is that LeBron's not going to stick around for this to be the end of his career. I mean, he moved when his team was winning championships, so he wants to play with his son and do whatever. And now I'm reading today that he's going to uh, – wants to play with the Suns. Well, it, well, isn't that convenient? You want to go play with Chris Paul and Devin Booker? Oh, don't – you don't say. Who, who wouldn't? I mean – Yeah. Geez. Now Kevin Durant wants to come play with Ja and Desmond. Of course. Hey. Why wouldn't you? Hey, win winners want to win, I guess. Well, Ke well, with Kevin Durant, I mean, he thought he's going to be playing with Kyrie. Like, I mean, that whole thing. Like, 
I don't feel bad for him, obviously. Y'all know how I feel about KD, but I mean, you know, this isn't what he actually thought he was going to be a part of, and now he's kind of left out to dry. So, his you know, we have not addressed that on this podcast, but I don't know. People talk about, and you know how I feel about Westbrook and, and the polarizing and all that, but I don't know that we've seen a player more polarizing in, in, in our lifetime as Kyrie Irving. I mean, it's, it is something it, new all the and time. It's, and he's not doing it because he wants to, to be that figure. Like you're saying, no. he's not trying to get seen. He just, he's that guy. Rod, just Rodman was probably the closest thing, but a different level of polarizing. Just not, I don't. Robin just really, truly lived his best life and did not care what anybody <laughs> thought about it. Yeah. Like he married NWO, he married himself. Man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, and I, I just, think it was, I don't know, I, man. I don't think Kyrie Irving loves the game of basketball. I agree. I just think he knows he can make money doing it, and he's good at it, so he's okay doing it. But, like, he's also, like, not, like, I don't know if he has that fire in him, like that. That's that's what you know. That's what he lives for. Well, think like, about it like this: when Kyrie was a rookie with that Cleveland team, they were terrible, but he was awesome, right? So LeBron goes back to play with him. They end up winning a ship, and Kyrie was a humongous part of that. But Ky- that wasn't enough for Kyrie. He wanted out. He wanted to go to Boston. He killed the that franchise. He set that franchise back. They get the young stars in there, and he wanted to be the man so bad to get away from LeBron and he's never proven that he can be the man on a winning team because that that's what I think gets lost in that guy is Kyrie Irving one of the most talented players in the NBA a hundred percent has Kyrie Irving proven that he can be the best player on a championship team absolutely not there's only probably four or five guys that do that in the league at a time LeBron KD Steph Giannis Maybe that's it. That I can think of. I mean, hell. I mean, there are some guys that I can put out there that have that the might could do it. Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, yeah. those kind of guys, but we haven't seen them do it. Right. You know, I it'll it'll be interesting, obviously, with with the direction that the Lakers go. I doubt they offload Westbrook. I don't see them getting any better. The Warriors, I, I feel like they're they're gonna figure it out. I think they shoot the ball too well, um, and they know how to win. Um, they're gonna be, you know, they'll be back. And then, you know, with the Grizzlies, man, uh, I'm just excited. It's 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 something, you know, when you play this well. But it's another thing to know you still have bullets in the chamber that you haven't even had to use yet. Um, but. You know, switching gears a little bit, let's talk college basketball. And, Randy, we'll start with, with Tennessee. Um, so, Tennessee's one and one. They were currently 11th in the rankings. I think they're going to drop. I'm not sure where they oh, dropped. They did. Probably like 20, low 20s. 22. So, is that warranted? And And I say that when – Obviously, they got beat by a Colorado team. I think they got punched in the mouth, but they looked at Colorado getting beat by a Grambling team. They go, all right, you know, maybe took them a little bit lightly. Um, I didn't see the game, so I don't know how the the level of play was for Tennessee, but I think we can all agree that Tennessee is a better team than Colorado. 
Yeah, I think that you can say that, but I think that this has kind of been the M.O. for Tennessee ever since Rick Barnes has been there. They lose a game like this in the beginning of the season, and they really, watching the game, not only everybody wants to point out that they didn't shoot well, and that absolutely has been true. I think they shot from the field, DB, 25% from the field. That's all baskets, but from three-point line, 27 percent but they didn't stop shooting threes they were 10 for 37 so they never quit jacking up the threes and they just never had a rhythm and what really bothered me in the second half as Colorado kind of pulled away was the fact that they were getting out hustled on 50 50 balls Rick Barnes kind of addressed it and he talked about how you know that he got out coached his players were out of control he called out uh Zakai Ziegler in the post game directly um, I'm not a big fan of that, I, but Rick Barnes has made a career out of doing that, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But what this team is going to have to figure out is how they replace Kennedy Chandler, who we all know is a Memphis Grizzly now doing his thing, but he was their instant offense. But I think that this is something that I pointed out over the last three years, that Tennessee's teams, they they stall for minutes at a time on the offensive end. Uh, similar to what we see with Memphis, if we're being honest, they're really, really, really elite defensively. But when a team is hitting buckets, that's not going to sustain if you can't score. And I think what Colorado and, and people talk about Colorado losing to Grandma State. Listen, Colorado has like six straight 20 win seasons, their tournament team. I don't get caught up in who they lost to. What I do get caught up in is the the manner in which they lost. They looked awful. And then when the shots weren't falling, their effort went down. And that's I don't expect to see that again. Yeah, I, I don't I don't expect them to see it again. One for they're more talented too the coaching staff isn't going to allow them to do that obviously they're going to play a gauntlet of sec teams that they're going to have to be prepared for and before that they're going to have a, a preseason tournament um, or not a preseason but like one of these like classics in the middle of the season that they're going to have high level caliber teams that they're going to have to show out for and i think they will um but you you mentioned memphis and in, in some of their woes i I, I watched them play Vandy. Um, I was actually pleasantly surprised. There's still some things that are consistent with what has been wrong with Memphis basketball over the past few seasons. But I think the level of point guard play is top notch. 100%. Best point but, guard Penny's had ever. Yeah. And it, it, and it just shows, like, you see it and the demeanor, the way, you know, the, the ball moves around. It's just just a different player um no disrespect to any of the other point guards that we have or the one that's currently on the team that used to be point guard but like the guy like Kendrick Davis is is just a different like he, he's just different um and then you know you obviously got DeAndre those two make a good one-two tandem DeAndre leading the team in points I think he had like 16 or 17 points that game which is you know from a guy is 35 years old, like you, you would expect that. Um, love DeAndre. He fouls too damn much. So like yeah, he does. the, the reality is he did much better against Vanderbilt, but the reality is, is how much is he going to be able to help you? And then who's coming in on the backside of that? Jim, did you get a chance to watch the Memphis game? No, I just got to listen to him talk about it on the radio and, you know, what you're talking about, I, I don't think there was too much uh, disappointment at all based upon their analysis. So um, being that they are heavily invested, um, you know, I'm going to go with what, what they're saying and feel like there's a, a lot of optimism in going into this season. 
Yeah, I think, you know, tomorrow night, you know, we're going to we're going to take on St. Louis. I say we like I'm going to lace them up and be on the court, too. But um, they're going to they're going to take on St. Louis. And I don't know if St. Louis is is as good as they've been, you know, the past couple of seasons. But I, I would say they're probably close, if not better. But that is a team that I think much like a Vanderbilt team, like if you don't go and execute they will run it up on you and it won't even be close. So. They really have really, really good guard play. I, I think that this is a huge, people are going to look at it that don't follow it and say, Oh, if they beat St. Louis, Oh, whatever they lose, the sky's falling. Neither one of those things are true. If they beat them, that's a great win. And if they lose to them in a close manner, that's not a bad loss. And, but what Memphis has to really capitalize on is these quad one wins because they're not getting a lot of those when it comes to conference play. You're really only going to get, what, two two quad one? Oppor- well, you'll get four opportunities. You play Houston twice. and um, Who's the other one? You got – so just looking at the schedule, you got Alabama. You've got two against, two against Houston, and then you'll have an Auburn. That's it, Auburn. Those are, yeah, big wins. They should be playing Tennessee again. I'm really mad at Rick Barnes and Penny Hardaway for not making that happen. Yeah, and I think that is a game. I'll ask you, Randy, man. Like, that is a game where between those two coaches, there's no way that you can't figure out a way to make it happen. It's just you don't want to make it happen. It's petty from from both, not only both coaches, but both universities because – you know, obviously in-state rivals, but, and I've said this here before, I think that what the state of Tennessee, Bill Lee, if you're listening, you just got reelected governor, follow Kentucky's lead in one thing and one thing only. Make it a law that Tennessee and Memphis have to play each other just like Louisville has to play Kentucky because the state needs it. And then I, I don't want to hear anything from ten- from Tennessee fans about, you know, we, we don't owe them a game or Memphis fans, like we don't need Tennessee. It's not about that. Yes, you do. Too. You need each other, and your fans deserve it. It's a rivalry. Play the when, game, and yeah. don't do the middle, the middle ground bullshit. Don't play in Nashville. Less home and home football, baseball, basketball, soccer, everything. Yeah, I I just don't. When the team in the state north of you is consistently getting the number one recruiting class in the country over you. What does it hurt for you guys to play each other? It's not like you're battling for the top of the top level recruits. You're both to me, Tennessee has its niche area of recruits, and so does Memphis. Like, by the way, I know you're probably gonna talk about this, but Penny, shout out for his recruiting. Shout out. Yeah, I mean, the recruiting class top notch. Um, you know, it's it's crazy. Um Back to, you know, that that whole, you know, coming in, we want all the smoke, you know, recruiting class and bringing those guys in. Um, you know, these guys, you know, are, are highly touted and, and it hasn't stopped. So we'll, we'll see. I don't want to get too big on recruits because I don't know other than a number and a star ranking. Like, that's all great, but, like, I don't know what more that means. Like, how good are these players? Um, well, I'm only going to talk about the one. You're bringing in a guy 
in Mikey Williams that already is worth millions of dollars before he ever steps on campus. It, it if Memphis is, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to get conference realignment. They're not going to be in those discussions. If you're, this is exactly why Memphis took the gamble and hired Penny Hardaway to keep you nationally relevant. And that's exactly what they're doing with getting guys like Mikey Williams. Now, obviously you hope it doesn't turn into a James Wiseman situation. I don't think that he ever helped Mikey Williams move anywhere. So, you know, I think you're clear there, but this is what you have to do if you're Memphis to make your program stay relevant. Absolutely. And I got tickets guys or Orlando. I got tickets to the uh, ESPN wide world of sports. Um, Thanksgiving day. You'll see me right behind the bench. Uh, the Friday, you'll see me right behind the bench. The Sunday, you'll see me right behind the bench. Just cheer my little heart did, out. Did I end up sending you that blue chain? Yeah. I got I'm going to need you to rock it. I'm going to need you to rock it. Uh, we'll see. Bella may not let me because she'll be going too. But somebody's going to be rocking a, a tiger finger, foam finger, and somebody's going to be rocking a chain. I can, I can promise you that. Um, but – you know, speaking of Memphis sports and recruits and all that, that's probably, you know, we're, we're kicking off, you know, Memphis basketball. But, Jim, I'll give you a chance right now. I mean, really the soccer programs at Memphis, you know, and, and our, you know, our folks, you know, from, from the podcast, Grace, um, they're, they're kicking ass over there. You know, tell us a little bit about or recap those games and kind of give us an update on where they're at and who they're playing next. Yeah. Well, just to, to give Memphis a shout out all together, you know, I don't really follow the men's program, but they advanced as well. And um, Memphis is one of only 10 schools to have uh, two teams left in their field of 32. So um, shout out to Memphis soccer all together, but for Memphis women's soccer, um, they were playing St. Louis, who was the number two seed. The way the soccer tournament bracket is set up is no different than NCAA March Madness. So they basically knocked off, you know, a two seed as a 15 um, in their house, got it done. It was cold. Um, anyway, one nothing, no ties, Daniel, straight, straight, straight dubs and, uh, and Grace did her thing. And so the cool part about this whole thing and the, and the way we do our podcast is, um, you know, so we really liked B Franklin from Arkansas and they won theirs. And so on Friday in Fayetteville, um, Memphis will be taking on, um, uh, drew a blank, uh, let's see, Arkansas, are they playing Ohio state? And then there's anyway, I don't know. They play, a, they play at four o'clock. I just went mind blank on who they're playing. And, and then Arkansas is playing Ohio state and they're back to back in Fayetteville and in a perfect world, Daniel, um, both teams advance, and then we get the two toughest, baddest girls we've had on this podcast going head to head. And the, with the positions they play, they will absolutely be in each other's wheelhouse, just duking it out, duking it out. I don't Man. feel so good about my LSU squad. You know, just to continue to talk to soccer, they advance as well, but they are taking on the number one overall seed of the entire tournament in Florida State in their house. So uh we'll see if Molly Swift and the girls can get it done. Um be be obviously rooting for them, but I don't feel as good for them as I do uh Memphis and Arkansas. But it'd be really cool to see um our guest and you know obviously if they advance like that, um, you know, one of them's guaranteed to, you know, make the Elite Eight, which would be a cool deal. Well if 
FSU soccer is anything like FSU baseball, they're going to choke. They're going to choke <laughs> this right away. Well, um, let, let, let's let's hope for it. Let's root for it. Um, you know, I, I, believe, I believe. Oh, you know what? I'm an idiot. You know who they play, Daniel? They play Mississippi State, who I've seen wow. because I, I should know that because I actually believe that Memphis is a better team than them. Um, I actually wrote Grace when I was at the LSU Mississippi State game that I believed that Memphis was a more fundamentally sound team than both of them. And who would have known at the time that Memphis would have an opportunity to play Mississippi State? So uh, the irony, my bad on forgetting that. I was I was so caught up uh, trying to figure out everybody, but yeah, that's who. Well, let's uh, go from one football to the other football college football um obviously our teams will recap those games i'll start real quick with memphis memphis picks up a much needed win they improved to five and five 500 season for ryan silverfield and his job uh, is still intact for another week um looking at the thursday night game obviously just for y'all's recollection i don't know if y'all know this but memphis is pretty damn good on thursday nights um and they were they were pretty good uh this past thursday obviously they did a couple things that i said that they felt like they needed to do which was trim the amount of players that they're using in the run game trim the amount of players they are using in a receiving game and they did that they got you know ivory involved he had seven receptions 123 yards and a touchdown and they had three other receivers um getting some work as well but the run game once again you know three main backs that they're using outside of Seth Hennigan, who I still think is running the ball way too much and head first dives and slides. It just, it's, it's very worrisome, but nonetheless, they pick up a much needed victory and they, you know, move on to another game this weekend against North Alabama, which, Hopefully it's a win and and they become bowl eligible and, you know, they go into the last game against SMU hoping for a win, but we'll see what happens. They're going to have to score a thousand points to beat those guys. I think. (laughs) But anyhow, moving on from, from Memphis, let's talk Tennessee. Um, Randy, obviously Tennessee bounces back after a loss. Um, Were you surprised to see how well they bounced back? Or did you expect this to be the way that the game was going to go? I expected them to blow Missouri out because that's what they do to Missouri. They put 62 on them last year, 66 on them this year. But a lot of people were trying to convince Tennessee fans that Missouri has a really good defense. Look what they've done to Georgia. Look what they've done to this team. They're 13th ranked in the country, and all that was great. But the problem was you were coming to Knoxville after they got embarrassed in the CBS primetime game against Georgia. It's senior day where Hendon Hooker was taking his last goodbyes and so many other guys that stuck with it. We've had a guy on the podcast in Jerome Carvin that mentioned it. 37 players transferred out, and he didn't hold it against them. But for those guys that stayed, this day meant too much. Uh, and the story, what I really hate about it was the story afterwards became you know, Tennessee running the score up. And, and, and I know how I feel about running the score up. I don't care about feelings at all, but I want to point out to anybody that is listening that's a Tennessee hater that during this last summer, Eli Drinkowitz, which is the coach of Missouri, if you don't know, because most people don't because Missouri sucks at football, 
He goes on the Jim Rome show, and Jim Rome introduces him. And the first thing that Eli says is, I thought you were going to introduce my record. But with the latest allegations against Tennessee, let's hold up on my what my record is because I expect them to vacate some wins, and that's going to help my record a little bit. And that got 66 put up on your ass. And next year, if you're still there, we're going to come to your house and put up another 60-piece on you. And wow. here's the thing. I, I don't have a problem with them putting them up because we know the committee looks at these things. And so when you say, like you said, uh, what you say, 13th rate defense in the country? Yeah. So when you when you put up 66 and I forgot the yardage, it's like, what, 743, 744, yeah, whatever. a record. Record yards. That's a statement that you need when you're having a debate when it comes down to who's going to be those final four teams. So I think Tennessee – did what they needed to do. They needed to add to their resume, you know, hey, we hung 66 on the 13th-ranked defense. I mean, that's all well and fine, but the the 13th-ranked defense means that they're one, two, three, four, five, now six losses. That means their offense sucks. Well, they, to, to, but to Randy's point, I mean, they played Georgia probably as tough as any team has. And so for it's that's why it just shows you every week football is, is interesting, right? Because Georgia handled Tennessee, but they barely escaped Missouri. And then Tennessee does that to Missouri. It's just wild. The stat that I read to your point, DB, they got six losses, right? They had lost five games by a combined 18 points. So, I mean, they're, they're in these games. I, I agree with you. Their offense is not good. But now they've lost six games by a combined 60 points. So, I mean, it, now Tennessee's really broken that spread open. But coming into the game, and it's not like they haven't played good teams. They have. Yeah. It's just when you can't do the one fundamental thing that allows you to win, which was score more points than the other team, you're going to struggle. I mean, that's Missouri in a nutshell. On top of the fact that coaches talk shit and don't have anything to back it up with. So, um, moving on from that, LSU, Jim. LSU goes into Fayetteville, and there's snow on the field. It's a little cold for the first time all year. And um, really slow start. They pick it up. You know, it's 6-3 it's to three going into the second half. LSU ends up pulling through, taking care of business. Was this the type of, of – game you thought it was going to be um in the sense that close grind it out and just get away with the victory or did you expect them to go in there and actually just beat down arkansas which didn't happen yeah no i expected them to go in there and beat down arkansas and you know it's it's really weird uh, obviously Jaden daniels didn't play well but when you look at williams on the ground um I think he had like 147 yards. I mean, we we moved the ball well. We just we couldn't score. And then um, Jaden had some bad turnovers. Um, you know, it was just uh, it. I don't know. It was, it was a tough day. A lot of people blame the cold uh, for both teams because both teams kind of look pretty pretty poor offensively. But you know, the story that everybody in the nation is talking about. And, uh, you know, he's it wasn't new this week. He's been killing it. Um, he was huge against Alabama, but specifically this game. Um, you know, rarely can you say, especially from a defensive position, that one player won you a game. But um, I think Randy watched most of this game. One player really actually won LSU the game. Harold Perkins Jr. was a menace to society, dude. This guy – 
Uh, I never thought you guys know, man, my my man crush on Devin White was serious. I never thought another linebacker would wear 40 at LSU and be that good. He's he's only a freshman and they compared his stats to Devin White's as a freshman and they're significantly better. This this kid is like a hybrid, uh, you know, mix of, of the honey badger and Devin White. And what I mean by that is, you know, he has the honey badger, honey badger's, uh, you know, mark of taking what he wants because, I mean, he's causing fumbles and scooping them up. He's picking passes off. He's been everywhere all year. As a matter of fact, me and Randy were talking about it. If you look at the only game he didn't have his mark on, it was Tennessee. And I had to look back because he had limited snaps that game. I thought maybe he was hurt. And, uh, you know, uh, Brian Kelly to his own, uh, you know, he owned it. He made the mistake of because of the, the positioning and running the nickel, they didn't have Perkins on the field. And as Randy said, he kind of would have been playing out of position, but give me 40 on the field no matter where you got to put them. Um, yeah, I'm taking somebody else off the field. Yes, yeah, so I don't know that it would have stopped Tennessee from winning, like I told Randy, but it sure might have helped you know, make the score not so bad. But uh, the dude is just – He's unbelievable, and he wrecked three different quarterbacks in that game. Arkansas ran out three different quarterbacks. He destroyed them all. Harold Perkins ended up being the defensive player of the week in the entire country, and so shout-out to him. And I would say this to you guys, and I think you both would agree, um, re- regardless of, you know, ugly or not, um, sometimes you got to get those games out of the way, and in the SEC, a win's a win. So I'd rather get it out of the way now than it be like, you know, the Georgia game when you decide you're going to play like shit like that. So get it out of the way, get the dub, by three, ugly, whatever. Um, it's a win on the road. And then you got to feel good. Uh, obviously, they got a game in between there this week. It's, uh, you know, they're they're going to roll. But the Texas A&M is such a dumpster fire. You feel like LSU is going to cruise uh, these next two games, and hopefully uh, they get everything right for Georgia, who is obviously going to be the ultimate test. Yeah. I mean, it, it's them, you know, Perkins was definitely the, the game changer in it all. And texting throughout the game, like you, you made that evidently clear. And that's when I started paying attention to it. But yeah, obviously the guy was, was unbelievable. Um, but hopefully, like you said, there's no hiccups along the way. Obviously, a, a Texas A&M is probably not the team that you would like to see at the very bottom of the schedule um, going into the game against Georgia, but it is what it is. It's the SEC. You're going to have to play those games at some point, so you might as well play them. You might as well get it together. Hopefully, you pick up a W and get some momentum going into that last week. Um, but looking back at this week and our re- recapping our picks, so. LSU, Arkansas. Jim gets a point. I get a point. Randy, you picked Arkansas. You get zero. I, I was damn remember. near right. I didn't remember you picking Arkansas. Damn, I you, did. I, can't I believe thought it was. You, how dare you, Randy? Hey, and it, well, I said at the time, it's not an LSU thing. That game is weird for LSU. I haven't. I thought it was a trap game. I haven't picked against Tennessee all year, including the LSU game. Shame on you. Oh. <laughs> Look, man, I'm just trying to win here, and it's working. So. Uh, next game, Tulane, UCF. Here's one where Randy gets a point, and Jim, you and I do not. UCF picks up a win against Tulane. Uh, Texas and TCU. I'm the only one that went with the Horn Frogs. I'm the only one that gets a point. We picked uh, with our heart on that one. We just we were just oh, picking man. what we wanted. Yeah, I mean, you guys are wanting TCU to to hiccup somewhere, and, and I mean that was as good of a time as any. We're almost if, if Texas brings anything to the table. Um, 
North Carolina, Wake Forest, you guys both pick up a point. You guys went with North Carolina. I went with Wake. Um, Florida State, Syracuse, we all get a point. We all took FSU. Oregon and Washington, we all took Oregon. Nobody got a point. We're all good. I wanted to. I even said it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think there's a couple in there where, you know, Randy, you especially, I think you're notorious for having good weeks, but your weeks could be much better if you would just say, stop saying, man, I really want to, but I'm not. And just, just do it. Just do it. This is your week. I think he will gladly take being wrong about that one and Oregon losing. He's going to live. 100%. Yeah. I I win more. He's all right with that. So this week, Jim, you got three points. Randy, you got four. I got three. Jim, that brings your grand or your college total to 33 on the season. Randy, you're at 38 and I am at 32. So first place, Randy for college, 38. You're up five on Jim, who's at 33 and second, and up six on me at with 32. Um, looking at this week's slate of games, let's see what's crack-a-lack in here. Man, I'm so, going to tell you guys, as I was making this rundown, boy, this week's slate of games sucked. Yeah, they, they weren't, you know, you know, it is what it is. They weren't that great, but, I mean, hey, we'll, we'll – We'll take what we can get. SMU Tulane. Um, I'm going to go SMU because I think they're going to score 800 points against Tulane. And obviously, I want them, SMU, to, to, be, to be feeling themselves when they take on the Tiger. So give, me, give me SMU. Randy, who are you taking? I'm going Tulane. Bounce back game. Oh, bounce back jim who you got man we only got a couple weeks left so i gotta go with you and go smu we gotta find a way to make ground we, we're running out of time this ain't the nfl we don't got a lot of time no, you're right we're gonna have to make move moving and grooving we're gonna need randy to, we're gonna have to pick opposite of randy and we're gonna have to win every game uh <laughs> illinois and michigan randy who you taking Michigan by like a trillion. Michigan. Jim, pick, a, you, pick the other way. Who are you taking? I think I almost have to. I am. I'm taking Illinois. I'm I'm going I'm going on to sit around. Let's go. Let's go. What do we got to lose? Lose if you lose by it, six or you lose by 20, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> ah, I love it. So this is all right. Let me ask you guys. A seven and three Illinois team at rank 21 is do they even have a chance of making this a game? No. I don't but, think I don't think suck. so either. But but how often do they do schools like Michigan choke against somebody? But here's the thing. I think this year's different because you would think after the year that Michigan had last year, they would get a little bit more conversation. I feel like they're beating people up and flying very low-key under the radar. And I don't know if that's because of Georgia being so good, Alabama not being as good, Tennessee now being in the mix, TCU being up there, and they're just able to kind of float low-key. But I don't hear a lot of people throwing Michigan's name out there and that the number three team in the country, they haven't lost a game. 
So uh, I don't know. I feel like I I think this is the game I'm going to go Michigan. But it I think it's going to be a barn burner of a game. So next game, TCU Baylor. Jim, who you got? Baylor. Oh, you're going to go Baylor. I'm going to pick against TCU every week. Randy, who you got? You really need TCU to lose. I I do. I do. I don't think that Baylor is very good. However, I'm picking them for the upset. Oh, you're going to pick the Bears. I just I don't think they're very good, but I got to go. I, I need them. I so, need Daniel, them. you get the one to get the game, the point on this one. Look at it. Yeah, I have I have to go TCU, obviously. I mean Yeah, and and you no got the great position. You get to pick the number 4 team. It got handed to you. But now I have to pick between the number 8 team and the number 12 team. USC UCLA. Um Is there any difference between these two teams? Like one's 8 and one's 12. One has one more loss than the other, but when it comes to relevancy, are they even like in the conversation of anything? I mean, I, th- I think if you're USC and you get that win over number 12, it's going to try to help their case. I just think there's too much in front of them that would have to go right. Oh, man. I think, um, I think, give me, you know what? Give me UCLA because I think you guys want to take USC. Anyways, I'm going to go with USC, but I hope that UCLA wins because I've already seen the ESPN machine make the case that a one-loss USC would get in over a one-loss Tennessee team, and that, my friends, is is ridiculous. Dumb. Dumb. Jim, who you got? USC? UCLA. No, man, I got to go opposite him. He gave me the opportunity. Oh man, you you're really you're going all in on this. Ole Miss, Arkansas, Randy, who are you taking? Uh, Rebels in a bounce back game, and I've said this all year long. I think the job that Lane Kiffin has done this year is like unbelievable. For them to have a chance to be ten and two after what they lost last year, unbelievable. The guy, unreal. Jim, who you got? Ole Miss, Arkansas. You got. Your team barely beat Arkansas last week. Got Ole Miss coming off a loss. I wish I, I wish I knew if KJ Jefferson was playing for sure. I think he's supposed to be back. And so with that, give give me Arkansas. Arkansas, wow, it's in Fayetteville as well. Ole Miss two and a half point favorite. Uh, give me, give me Ole Miss. Hey, Randy, can I tell you, even though it was Bama, can I tell you my low-key favorite part of the game, Ole Miss, Alabama, and it was dirty as hell and somehow went unrecognized. When homeboy sacked Jackson Dart. And he pushed him into the ground. Pushed him down into the ground. It went viral. (laughs) I saw it it real time. It wasn't a clip that I had to see go around, and I thought, damn, did he just do that and get away with it? Yeah, it wasn't even a penalty. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. (laughs) Because the only reason I say it's super ridiculous is because in the Tennessee-Alabama game, 
our lineman sacked Bryce Young, didn't touch his head, put his hands on his hips and pushed himself up and got a 15-yard personal foul. Come on. Come wait on, till, Alabama. Wait, wait till we get to the NFL and I'll tell you all how the Eagles lost. Uh, wow. I already know. Do yeah, you know about that, the penalty? Yeah. That's pretty rough. I don't care. They lost. That's that's what matters. Yeah. Uh, bad officiating. Last game, Utah, Oregon. Jim, who you take? Utah or the Ducks? The problem. Or the Pac-12 late game garbage trash can basura dumpster fire game of the week. So I think Oregon's going to bounce back, but I also think Randy's going to take Oregon. So give me Utah. You're taking the Utes. I'm taking the Ducks. I think me Rand- too. I think Randy is going to go with the I'm Ducks. I'm going to be tied with Randy when this week's over. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be great. It's going to be good. You're- How many points am I up? You're up, you're up like five or six. So I you can are up, double digits. You're up five on Jim. You're up five on Jim. And we got five different choices. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to catch you. No, I don't think so. I don't think so, pal. Debatable. All right. NFL, let's go to it. Cowboys. I don't really want to spend a whole lot of fucking time on the Dallas Cowboys. I don't. Here's what I know is it has nothing to do with fourth down play calls. It has nothing to do with debatable penalties late in the game. It has everything to do with interceptions in the red zone, in the end zone. And to me, the loss sits squarely on the shoulders of the quarterback. Um, I, I got I to gotta ask you a question because okay. with you saying that, the commentators were saying in both times that the, the routes and you see the discussion between – the one you see actually C.D. Lamb telling Schultz that he messed up the his route and ran his defender in the way. And then the other one you see C.D. Lamb not break off his route like he's supposed to. So is it not a combination of, of both because the lack of communication? Because Dak clearly in both instances thought the player was going to be there and they weren't. So here's my thing. We had a lot of success running the football. Why are we like, why do we have to throw it there? And on top of that, if the route is bad, like it was just jumbled from the start in the middle of the field and he's trying to fit it into a window. And I just didn't think he saw the guy drop back and he just jumped up and he was yeah, there. I only, I only think that, I think the one that he threw to when it was just CD lamb, I think that was a terrible pass. Yeah. Um, and that that dude only had one pick in his career, and he got two in one game. The other one, I do think Schultz ran his defender into the thing. So, but yeah, those picks were the the difference in the the game, though, Daniel. I, I definitely agree with you. That that changed the course. Yeah. I could have ran them out the the stadium. We could have, and that's that's you know, two. The other thing is you can't give a team, you know, as much as I can't stand Aaron Rodgers, you can't let a guy like that back in the game and just give them 14 fucking points. You're up 14. You need a score. You need to put your foot on the throat and just be done with those dudes and move on to the next week. And they couldn't get it done. They just gave the guy an opportunity. Um, 
So, you know, I'm not, I'm not happy. It helps that Philly lost tonight, but, um, what sucks is now you roll into this week and you got the Vikings like, like that gets any easier. So, I mean, just not, not a good loss. It's a team that you should have beat in my opinion. I don't think they're the Packers are a good team. And I think that was a bad loss for Dallas. And since we're not going to get into that game, since you brought up the, the Vikings coming up next week, I just want to say, the entire bar because the games had all ended in the Vikings Buffalo zone was completely locked into that game. Um, and it was a packed house in there and dude, what an exciting, like end of regulation and then overtime that game was legit. And Justin Jefferson is definitely got a case for best receiver in football, which is crazy because he was a two-star recruit in the LSU. Well, uh, if you, you don't have to convince me of that. I, I saw it with my own eyes. Is that, is that, where does that rank? Like, is that is that the best catch you've ever seen? No. I mean, I would say Claypool's got a pretty damn good catch. I would say David Tyree's got a pretty damn good catch. What I liked about this one was the – Remember, remember that both- time that Des Bryant almost had a really good catch? <laughs> they – uh. You know, OBJ. I tell you this: OBJ gave him that one. No, he no, he gave him the nod on uh, on social media. But what what was amazing about this one was the DB had both hands on it, and with his one hand on it, snatched it away from him and brought it down. It was it was pretty incredible. Let me ask you guys both this question. I know I'm getting off onto a different game. That was the only guy Kirk Cousin was throwing to. Like at what point do like we say we're gonna double, triple, whatever? Make him throw to somebody else. They literally – They triple covered him on that catch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it's – he gets everybody's best and their second best in double coverage and sometimes their third best all in one. And it doesn't matter. The guy's that good. Um, speaking of good or, well, not good, the Saints. The Saints were not good, Jim. Do you even want to talk? Or recap that game? Is there much to even discuss? Um, no, I don't want to discuss the game. I want to discuss what needs to happen. Um, I sat there with a group of Saints fans at that same Buffalo Wild Wings, and we all had a discussion. It was almost like a, a therapy session. We all were in agreement that it's time to tear it down. And maybe they blew it by not going ahead and starting before the trade deadline, um, offloading Cam Jordan, um, Camara, all that. I don't want to see any of those guys go, but the they don't have a first round pick this year. They always have cap problems. You know, I think Randy even said before this season he would have overhauled it. Um, it's time because we're not going to be anything better than mediocre. Um, you got so many pieces that you can sell off. You obviously keep like young guys like Alave, um, use it to build on, but you need picks. You need to find a quarterback. You got a lot of a lot of things, and just you're not going to be able to compete. So, um, the Saints showed me this week that they don't even in a in the worst division in football, they don't have a chance uh, competing in it. And so, um, it's time to overhaul. And the other thing I would bring up is um, Dennis Allen. You know, four and twelve is a Raiders coach, and then four and twelve is a Raiders coach, and then zero and four, and he's fired. And now look at his record. What are we, three and seven? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, 
He's a great coordinator, amazing coordinator. He is not a head coach. He needs to go. Well, sounds like you are done with that team for now. Yeah, um, I need. I, I need. Uh, I guess it's time to jump on that Bengals train again. I hope they start doing their. Oh thing. man, well, let's move on to you know more happier times. I guess Sunday is the new Saturday. <laughs> is that right? Is that right, Randy? That's right, baby. We're back. You're you're back just like that in one week. You're back. So talk to us a little bit about the Colts. Obviously, new man, Jeff Saturday, taking the reins. Um, did you see anything different, or is it just utilizing what you had in a better way? Yeah, I think it was a breath of fresh air for the players a little bit. Obviously, tough week. You're playing a bad opponent. Jeff Saturday had already publicly disparaged them. Uh via Twitter before he was named head coach. Uh, a lot of weird circumstances around Jim Ursay didn't handle this the best way. Uh, the, the word was that he forced them to bench Matt Ryan based on some clauses in the contract, whatever, whatever. Jonathan Taylor had been hurt. A lot of defenders are still out. And then they went in there, and Jonathan Taylor goes off. I think he had 160-something yards. Matt Ryan was very efficient. Uh, you got some contributions a little bit from everybody. Defense played pretty well. And um, I will say this about the Jeff Saturday thing for that weird of a situation. He handled it with grace, with class, as good as you can. And what really stood out to me was that so many of his teammates, and I would be remiss if I did not say his African-American teammates were there at the game, supporting him, posting pictures on the sidelines. Um, I think that matters. I think in a, in a, in a world where it's always about race and, and rightfully so the Rooney rules there for a reason there will have to be due process. But I think it does say something about Jeff Saturday's character that his African-American teammates were there to support him. And not only that, he gets the win. And the whole time, he's giving credit to everybody but himself. So game ball for me does go to Jeff Saturday for getting that team ready I mean, to play and to fight back. And you he, know what else? He ought to be ashamed of himself, though. He he made a grown man cry. That's where I was going. You still know uh, where I was going. Grown <laughs> man cry on TV. I didn't even hear what Derek Carr had to say. I just saw the emotional reaction, and I was like, why is he crying? There's nothing worse than making a – because it's not even just a grown man, Daniel. It's a – I think he wears eyeliner, and so is running. You know what I'm saying? Like, exposed. Yeah, I don't know, and and maybe – I don't know that there's ever been a worse head coach than Josh McDaniels. I think that guy's a clown. It's another guy who's a great coordinator but can't be a head coach. Um, another great thing that came of this, Randy, did you see where Jeff Saturday as an analyst had tweeted that the Raiders were terrible? Yeah, that's what I said. He had just publicly disparaged Oh, I didn't, I didn't even hear yeah. that. My bad. Yeah. He said they were terrible that's and then fantastic. goes out and beats them. That's fantastic. Yeah, Devontae Adams was really good, though. Yeah. It's actually minus the Saints game where he didn't even freaking have a catch, um, which is amazing. Uh, he's had a bunch of amazing games, and none of them have resulted in victory. It's, it's really amazing, his stat lines and how they haven't mattered. Well, let's get down to what matters, our pick them. Last week, let's, let's uh, recap, shall we? The shall. The Saints and the Steelers. I'm the only one that went with the Steelers. You guys pick the Saints. I get a point. You don't. 
But then we turn around and both of you guys pick the Vikings and I did not. So both of you guys get a point and I don't. Uh, we all three picked the Cowboys. None of us got points. Which we I never all... do. Why? Why would I do that? Because you should have. Like, that's a game they sh- are supposed to win. Hey, hey on that on that Bills-Vikings, I thought we were going to lose because I really thought Josh Allen was going to pull the victory there. I did not see that pick coming. We'll talk about that on another episode, but Josh Allen's not had a good year. Mm, yeah. I, not in crunch time. He's thrown six interceptions in the red zone. That ain't good, bro. You're right. It's not good. That's not good. I just saw one this weekend, and I am not good good with it. To the only dude that's, like, awesome on their secondary, Josh Peterson. (laughs) LSU, shout out. Shout out. Let's let's shave some points here. Here you go, buddy. Catch this. Uh, And he fumbled it into the end zone. I'm just going to put that out there. Oh. No, that yeah, that dude, that was. Could anybody have foreseen that? Like the whole, the whole place was like, "What just happened?" All right, Cardinals, Rams. We all pick the cards. We all get a point. Chargers, 49ers. Did either y'all know that both quarterbacks weren't playing in that game when we made that pick? I did, but I just the Rams are really bad. But I didn't know both those guys were out like that. I mean, it wouldn't change my pick because I, I mean. Doesn't change it if you're taking the personnel that's around them. But I I'm going to be honest. Out. I'm going to be honest with y'all. I know this is a sports podcast. I have never heard of the Rams backup quarterback. I don't know who that dude is. <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you that they had one. <laughs> so there's that. 49ers Chargers. So I I picked your boy. And you guys don't pick your boy. You guys get points. I don't. What the hell? Well, I'm going to diagnose that game because I watched it. That's not Herbert's fault. He had no Mike Williams, no Keenan Allen, and then Everett gets hurt on the first drive of the game. That dude had Carter and whoever um, to throw to. He had had nobody to throw to, man. Like He's still really bald. Yeah, he he had no weapons, and then Eckler didn't really have a good game. But I mean, like to Randy's point, I mean, he was still slinging it. But I mean, like when your top three, you know, receivers are out, I mean, you're really limited, especially against a 49ers team that's good. Yeah. Uh, last game was the Bucks Seahawks over in Germany, and Jim, you and I take the Bucks. Randy, you took the Seahawks. Jim, you and I, we pick up another point. I got. I got one thought on that game, though, even though the Bucs won, and we text about it in real time. So we're, we're going to enlighten Randy if he didn't see it. The Bucs are moving down the field effortlessly, Randy. It's just it's just easy money. And then they just, just decide to call a trick play where Leonard Fournette's going to throw to Tom Brady, and he gets picked off. Terrible throw, oh, terrible yeah. route, everything. Everything about it from both sides. Here, here's what I think happened. And and I always say this because I've never seen Tom Brady, ever. A 45-year-old man trotting down the field trying to catch a pass. Never seen that. Not in his prime, not when he was in Little League, not when he was in high school. Never seen him do that. I think because they were in Germany, they were trying to throw a little, a little fun out there and get Tom Brady's name on the stat line. That's what I think they tried to do. But 
it was just dumb. Dumb. Yeah. And they're, I, they're lucky it didn't cost them the game. Yeah. The, I, like I said, I think the reason I had the biggest problem with it in that specific drive, I mean, first down, first down, first down, first down, you're cruising, and then you just do that play for no reason. So this week, uh, Jim, you got four points. Randy, you got three. I got three. Um, that gives us an NFL total of Randy, 33. Me, 31. Jim, 27. Uh, that makes uh, for a grand total of college NFL combined. We're looking at Randy in first place with 71 points. I'm in second place with 63 points. And Jim, you're in third place with 60 points. So, Jim, you're five points back in the college. I am two points back of Randy in the NFL. And we are a lot back uh, overall. So, Randy, right where I want you. Great, right. great job, buddy. But according to Jim, he's going to catch you and he's going to be in a different position this time next week, but only time will tell. So picks this week. Let's get to them. Let's do it. Let's see what we got. Titans and Packers. Jim, who you got? Give me the Packers. Randy, who you got? Yep, Packers. Damn. Yeah, I'm going Why Packers. Why are you letting me go first? I, I, I didn't I, know if he would pick the Titans or not. I, I will, uh, first of all, no, I would never. And uh, secondly, I'll go first on the rest of the picks. Um, I'm picking the Titans because fuck Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> well, Rams. And I got a market explicit now. Oh, you do? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just edit that out. Nah, I'm just kidding. Rams, Saints. Randy, who you got? Saints. <laughs> I, I swear he did this shit on purpose. <laughs> yeah. You got you. Oh, man. Like, <laughs> is, is Stafford going to play? I don't think so. Well, you he, got a bigger he, problem. Even, if Stafford does play, his receiver ain't going to be there. Even even better, is, is Andy Dalton going to play? Give me the Saints. I don't care who's quarterbacking for the Saints. The, the Rams are awful. Yeah, and Cooper Cup's out, so. He is. But Who, but, who are you taking, Jim? The Rams. <laughs> All right. Eagles, Colts. Give me the. Sorry, Randy. Give me the Eagles. Same. If. If the Eagles had beat the Commanders, I might think about taking the Colts. But if if Jeff Saturday beats the Eagles, oh, they Lord, just might it's... they just might sign him up. They might turn this thing around. Look, man, they're only like a game and a half back. It's not like they're cr- no two games back. It doesn't matter. No, I mean like yeah, turn it around, start winning. They uh, Get to 500, end with a winning record, a respectable record. Who knows? You never know. Jim, who you got? Eagles, Colts. Colts, man. Jonathan Taylor fixing to break off another 150, baby. Let's go. I like it. I like it. Cowboys, Vikings. Jim. No, don't even make Jim go first. All right. Give me the Vikings. Kirk Swag. The Cowboys bounce back. The Cowboys are going to beat the Vikings. 
Go Cowboys. Who you got, Jim? Cowboys. And I don't even believe that. I'm just picking it against him. Gotta go. You need to. How no, is you it? know what? Because if you're if your boy, you know, you, you said you get tired of me talking about my fantasy problems. I messaged you in real time. I said, Can Dak throw me one more quarterback or one more uh touchdown? You know what? He's ultimately why I lost. I, I can give everybody on my team a reason why I lost, but I'm just gonna put it on Dak. Are we ready to have that conversation again about who will we take, Herbert or Dak? Because I don't think it's really a conversation anymore. Um I'm going after, to see after Joe after this year. Let's let's make that that discussion. The, yeah, you can't catch him right after he's very upset with Jack. That's unfair. That's yeah, exactly that's... when you catch him. Duh. No, you two were the ones telling me that Dak was better. No, he, he wasn't better then. He's not he better is. now. He won't be better next year. Look, never. He... It was it was one play that changed everything for me, Randy, in the Kansas City game. When my man came in there, he couldn't even run for a first down the play before and then threw an absolute dark dart with fucking busted ribs. I was like, okay, this dude. He's he's special. He's so special. All that being said, load me up on Patty Mahomes, baby. You're Chiefs. I'm taking the Chiefs. Jim, are you going to go Chargers? Yeah. Jim's throwing caution to the wind. He's this is a Hail Mary attempt yeah. to catch back up. Uh 49ers and Cardinals. Give me is Kyler Murray playing. I don't care. Give me the Niners, baby. 49ers. I'm gonna go 49ers too. They got a lot of weapons back. I just think they're a better team than the Cardinals. Jim, you taking the cards? God, this is bad. This is the worst one of all of them if I take it. Oh, yeah, let's do it. All right, there you go. (laughs) Nice to know you. You have now put the tombstone marker on your entire Pick'em season. Congratulations. All right, picks are out of the way. The headlines are out of the way. Last call. Randy, got anything? No, man, just want to give a um, a late shout-out to all the veterans, including our very own Jim Cross. Man, we appreciate everything that every veteran has ever done so we can do dumb shit like we do tonight and talk about sports. Absolutely. Jim, thank you, man. You're, you are uh, a good dude, a scholar, uh, uh, just a, a overall genuine guy. Appreciate your service. Appreciate everything you do, dude. Yes, sir. Last call, Jim. What do you got? Uh, yeah, man. Uh, pay our respects to three Virginia football players, Lavelle Davis Jr., Devin Chandler, and Deshaun Perry, um, who were gunned down by a former University of Virginia football player. Um, more senseless violence. Don't know the underlying cause to it, but nonetheless, uh, three Virginia football players are dead and two other civilians, uh, non-football players, students, shall I say, not civilians, um, and one of those well, kids was from Arlington High School, played football at Arlington High School. Just uh, crazy. So, yeah, just, uh, man, remembering uh, them and um, prayers be with their families, man, just ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's being able to play sports, being able to talk sports is a blessing, and, you know, you don't want to take anything for granted, that's for sure. Um, but definitely – 
thoughts, prayers, our hearts go out to to everyone affected there. That's just not a good situation for anybody. And you know, the the university and that city is gonna uh be be mourning for a little bit. So, you know, all we can do is just think about them and hold our loved ones tight and tell them you love them. So you never know. But guys, a, another awesome episode. I want to thank our guest Redmond Walsh for joining us. If you like hearing Redmond's story or you just like hearing us average Joe's talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook. Retweet us on Twitter. Listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. As always, comments, ratings, feedback, all that good stuff is much appreciated. We'll see everybody for our next episode. we got episode 29 coming at you. We're going to be talking more baseball. We're going to be talking LSU baseball. Jim is salivating as I say it because our guest is going to be Alex Malazzo. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We out.